that chat hey what's up <laughs> that's catnip yeah wow okay wait wait, wait we are You're saying that now today? okay hey i used it a couple times <laughs> Yo, that's catnip dude i told you i'm starting i was just someone was giving catnip wave. to their cat the other night and i was like yo that's catnip <laughs> yeah that's that's nip 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 I also, catnip's out for harambe i you also know? like i dropped our episode on them because i was like oh you see what your cat's doing you want to learn more about this <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah dude what if cats just vibe Real out all marketing. day listening to fucking the catnip episode <laughs> just got stoned on catnip and we're just like whoa dude they might right judge now. us though well Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Drinking Out of Cups podcast. I am your Joe Rogan. Welcome to the Joe Rogan experience. Uh, I'm welcomed here by my fellow Joe Rogans. I've got the Joe Rogan on my left over in Los Angeles yeah. or Austin, Texas. Yeah, more like where... the Joe Rogan sex experience. Know what I'm saying? Oh, God. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> We're talking about nip, right? It, no. <laughs> Just introduce oh. yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess I didn't do that. My bad. Dude, I'm the worst at introducing myself. Uh, hello, my name is Ryan. And on on my forward uh, is fucking who do I got on my forward? <laughs> oh, welcome yeah, to the Drinking Out of Cups yeah, podcast. My forward, this is Micah. Dude. You're um, across from me. I'm here. Hello. Yeah. Um, on my forward. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Dude. On, my, on my straight and narrow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, today we are talking about a designer drug that has made its own ripple through the news cycle and the media that many people do not remember. I know I don't. That drug is methoxetamine. Is that right? how you pronounce yeah, this? Yeah. Nice job. Fuck yeah. I was, thinking, uh, I was trying to say methoxetamine. What? <laughs> okay. Okay. That's rough. Yeah. Uh, that ain't good. I've been saying it wrong in my head for days, dude. <laughs> Literal days. Oh, I hope you dropped it some. Methoxetamine? That's what I've been saying. We've yeah. been, and it's methoxy. Yeah, like, the, we've been talking about methoxy drugs for months now. Yeah, but it's methox, and then there's an E at the end. There's no Y. So it's like. Okay. Methoxetamine? I don't know. That sounds wrong to me. Methoxetamine. Yeah. That sounds wrong to me. That's why I was like, methoxetamine. Well, dude, we're getting zeded like- off the zetamine. <laughs> <laughs> well, then that, that would make all of the nicknames super weird, too. So I'll put it more simply for you. We're going to be calling it MXE because that's what everybody knows it as. And the people who did it and remember it, that's what they probably know it as. Or maybe some of the nicknames like. Mezzy, if it was Ryan. That's what I was going <laughs> to say, <it's> dude. <laughs> Mexi. K-Mez. M-Cat. K-Mex. Yeah. Or, Ryan, what's the most fun nickname that it's got? Dude, motherfucking Rafflecopter, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fucking... Why? Essentially just a meme name. It's kind of similar to like Meow Meow with like uh, Mephidrome. It's like... Yeah. Really only like the media used it. And there was there was a website... That was called rafflecopter.com or something like it was like dot dot something and probably not dot onion, but uh, no, <laughs> but it was like a it was like a website where you could buy it legally and they had information on it and it was just literally just said like not for human consumption and uh, apparently even the website had like a helicopter on it and shit <laughs> and uh, it was essentially just like one website where like the UK media and a lot of media sources were just like 
these new kids are using Rafflecopter. <laughs> and people are just like, are you fucking stupid? Like, what? I wonder if it's like a, a play on, like, you're, if once you do this drug, you're just going to be rolling on the floor laughing and looking like a helicopter. So that's what oh, I that's thought. A good it's point. like, is the, is the COPTR, is that, because for the audience, it's R O F L C O P T R. So not a word. It's Rafflecopter. <laughs> but we word. all know Raffle as rolling on the floor laughing. What's COPTR? Copter, dude. I don't know. Rolling on the floor, laughing, chewing on people's tiny rectums. <laughs> <laughs> we, we all had a we all had Yum. a turn in that, dude. <laughs> I don't know, dude. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a good one. Uh, rolling yeah. on the floor, laughing, catnip on fucking moving on so (laughs) methoxetamine is an odorless white or off-white powder that is frequently sold in small colorful packets um we talked about these at great length on the mephedrone episode um these kind of bath salt style drugs that are well quotations huge right there uh cannabinoids too yeah synthetic cannabinoids we talked about it a ton so yeah so these these chemicals are uh, plant matter in that case are sold and marketed as plant food or pond cleaner and are always labeled not for human consumption or with a warning saying for research only. Um, that is, we, we've all seen those drugs, right, guys? Come on. I feel like our, our audience has had to have seen those. Well, we've point. talked about them multiple times, too. Uh, yeah. So like maybe some people haven't actually seen them, seen them, though. Like, I remember I never saw anything in a store right. um, with these types of labels, but I saw them when I bought them. <laughs> or when other people did <laughs> yeah i feel like it's not that sus to just look up like legal highs online and then just go to one of these websites you could see yeah no that's true i'm sure a bunch of people have actually just found those when they've looked up like drugs online right but huge disclaimer now that i said that don't buy anything off these websites ever like yeah, the ones yeah. that will say we'll ship to us legal highs and they they'll say these crazy drugs don't buy those um, I don't know if you'd get it or not. That's just this podcast recommendation. Do not <laughs> order drugs online. Unless, from, unless you're trying to get real high. Other friends' experiences. <laughs> other friends' experiences that have thought that they were going to get something they never did. So essentially, you're just kind of giving your Bitcoin to someone uh, as a full-blown scam. You're getting your shit stolen. Yeah. Yeah, I would expect that's probably what... But it's not going to... I don't are. think it's going to get you in trouble at all. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> yeah, oh, I guess side, it is just a flip of the coin. Whether yeah. like what the fuck happens? Side note, dude, my friend sent me fucking something today. Or told told me a little story of uh he got he received something in the mail uh that he bought uh and fucking they they included a Nature Valley bar in it. Hell <laughs> yeah! I was like, dude, drugs and snacks? Fuck yeah, dude! <laughs> I've had that. So one of one of the best times ever was I, I shouldn't even be outing myself, but um, statute of limitations. Right? Swim, so. swim did this. Yeah, swim. <laughs> yeah, gosh. <laughs> um, uh, was Skittles. Um, oh, and they nice. like sealed it back up, and they were like those the sour ones and shit. So I was fucking stoked. I got oh, drugs. And wait, I so got they Skittles. so they put it in the Skittles or they? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. no, this was just completely separate. They they put a pack. There were no in there. Skittles. There were no real Skittles. Yeah, but this was real Nature Valley though. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I'm not saying like in the Skittles. I'm saying they they put it in the bag. Oh, so I, got a, I got a bag of Skittles sealed up. But my drugs were in there. Oh, and so I, I got see, to eat the Skittles sick. while I was doing the drug. Oh, oh. that's fucking sick! It's like the sweet yeah. water of fucking drugs. <laughs> yeah. just no, the only other time that I've had it where <laughs> they put it on stuff was uh, Pez candy. Actually, mm. and oh. each, each Pez was a dose, which is kind of cool. 
Yo, that's Pez, shit. dude. <laughs> yeah, and they sent you the little thing. Like, oh, really? Yeah, dude, yeah, that's yeah. Okay. I got like a little like semi truck Pez <laughs> dispenser. <laughs> what if they accidentally sent you one that was worth money? That'd be cool. Oh, I didn't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah, dude, there's collectors ones. Yeah, dude. Damn. Or maybe like UK exclusive ones. Yeah. <laughs> Micah, you're just all fucking just high the on the queen's your... head. <laughs> <laughs> that would be sick. You're high on so, your fucking drugs and there's like the fucking truck and you're just like wheels on the bus go round and round. Like you're <laughs> fucking high shit. <laughs> so MXC is believed to be primarily manufactured in China and like other designer drugs that we've covered mxe was purchased online or even in head shops in some cases it was sold in amounts ranging from 50 milligrams to 10 grams that's a lot (laughs) with smaller (laughs) packets costing as little as seven dollars us the common route of administration is nasally though methoxetamine is also ingested rectally orally uh, and via intermuscular and intravascular injection and uh yeah. So so an interesting thing, I was I was thinking about this before the episode. If you look up the dosage range for each of the inge- ingestion methods, there isn't a huge difference. Yeah. Which I found in like incredible because if you think about like something like cocaine, if you do a, a, a line of cocaine, if you were to inject that line of cocaine, you'd probably like die. I honestly am not sure. I haven't ever looked into how like you would inject cocaine. Obviously, the right. assumption is yes, and that is right. like things like with heroin, you mm-hmm. would never want to sniff the amount, or you never want to inject the amount that you're sniffing or smoking. You could right. smoke ridiculous amounts of heroin, but you inject a little bit, you can die. Yeah. Um, with this drug, it's very different. So the common reported dosage range is from 10 milligrams to 100 milligrams, but if you look at the is ingestion, that for sniffing, or just um, in general. So that's the dosage range in general. So hmm. even, well, I think the the only one that was like 80 plus is a heavy dose was injection. But other than that, all the other ingestion routes or methods said that that's a perfectly healthy range, which I just found interesting because not, obviously you're going to have different effects if you snort a drug versus eat a drug, but, and, and it's going to be active at different levels, but they're all safe levels. Yeah. Well, I think with ketamine and this one being an analog of ketamine, ketamine's kind of similar in the sense that you're if you insufflate 100 milligrams at, without a tolerance, you'll likely have a K-hole type experience um, if you're sensory deprived and whatnot. And then same thing if you were to just inject that 100 milligrams the first time ever. Hmm. Yeah, okay, it will be yeah. a much more powerful experience with 100 milligrams. But it's just but as safe. It's just, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, and with these drugs, these drugs are incredibly uh I shouldn't say physically safe, but really it's hard to uh, overdose on a yeah. drug like this. With this one, maybe a little bit easier than ketamine for some yeah. stuff we'll talk about. But uh, yeah, so for the duration of the effects uh, following an IM administration, that's intermuscular administration, lasts less than an hour, whereas it can range five to seven hours with an oral consumption. Following insufflation, users report a 30 to 90 minute delay before experiencing a response, which I thought was pretty long, honestly, <laughs> for mm-hmm. insufflation. Like, That's a you think crazy long. You time think you snort something, it's going to be the quickest. Yeah. yeah. Or so, other than shooting. It. A lot of the PCP True. derivatives are like that. And that is what makes them incredibly dangerous, is, um, you know, you're more likely to just continue. Yeah. Because, yeah, if you're not feeling it, it, you're not feeling any effects. 
30 minutes, 60 minutes after you take something, you're likely going to repeat, uh, repeatedly keep dosing yourself, which can lead to unintentional overdoses, which um, apparently happened pretty frequently with this drug. Uh, very unintentional overdoses with some overdoses the effects lasting days i saw which uh is pretty terrible well it kind of reminds me of lsd that like thing that happens with people all the time when they're new to it where they take a tab and then an hour and a half goes by and they're like i don't feel it so then they're like oh i'll take another tab and then within 10 minutes they're like oh fuck (laughs) well that even happens with mdma you yeah. eat it like an MDMA pill or something. If you don't snort it and you're not feeling it in 30 minutes, a lot of people just take more. Think, oh, I might have taken the side that had nothing or something. But it's like, no, yeah. it's mixed in there pretty well. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, it's also like, especially like when you're when you're doing it often, like a couple times a day. Like, it's, if it takes that long, people were probably like, oh, like I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna come down in like an hour. So that means I need to take more now. So then it's like gonna fucking come on in an hour and a half and then it may last longer than they expected it to last. And then now they're coming up while they're not, you know, they're coming up again when they thought they would be coming down and then it would even out, but they're not. Now they're just doubly high. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. It's kind of freaky. Yeah. So uh, another thing with this drug is severe cravings have been reported by some people um, that, a lot of people thought that it would be very similar to ketamine as you could just kind of stop doing it. But a lot of people said that even with the, uh, 90 minute delay or whatever even if you are feeling it you have this overwhelming sensation almost like cocaine to just keep doing it hmm. yeah it almost makes me wonder if it's kind of similar to the feeling you get when you're rolling where you start to you you've been feeling so great all night you don't want more and then out of nowhere you're like oh shit i, I need more right now or i'm gonna like flip out right yeah i almost wonder if it's like that too i bet it's probably fairly similar due to some of the reports i was reading uh, so, methoxetamine users report ketamine-like dissociative features. We did say it's a ketamine analog, including sensory deprivation, derealization, and dissociation from the body akin to a near-death experience. Pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Makes it sound pretty cool. Others report a pleasant intensification of sensory ex- experiences. Some described vivid visual... Visual... Those are sick. Yeah, I love those. Today, Junior. Vivid visual hallucinations, such as spinning sensations and naturalistic hallucinations in waves. Sounds pretty cool, still. So, like, it just like waves at you the whole time. Yeah. And this coined the phrase "MXE vision." I, I don't know how that would come of like. How do how do you link those MXE vision? I mean, I guess because maybe it's uh, very different than like ketamine visuals. Mm. And that's mm. what I've always heard um, was that it does have an added component of psychedelia to it right. that ketamine doesn't have. Oh, so it's more psychedelic. Yeah. More visual. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So this one user reported that his field of vision was very bright and intense and the colors were vibrant and it was hard to focus on any one thing. So... Yeah, I I don't know. The the things I've heard about ketamine don't really sound like that is uh, an issue <laughs> that you have. No, um, I think ketamine is like very uh, dark and um, kind of alien. And there, there's for people that do get visuals with ketamine, they say like kind of small fractal type stuff and um, you know, um, just weird shapes, but not a lot of like enhancement of color at all. Interesting. Yeah. So it's like it's losing that that psychedelic when you're talking about LSD type psychedelics um, component to it, whereas MXE has a bit more of a psychedelic um, 
component. Gotcha. One thing it shares in common with um, ketamine is the things like that it, it, it makes you have these recollections of past memories and dreams very euphoric, full of empathy, which I've heard a lot about ketamine use. Um, whereas uh, some people also say it's very introspective in nature. Uh, higher doses of MXE result in a dissociative experience coined the M hole, a references to ketamine's K hole. The mm. <laughs> mm. hole. Mm. <laughs> oh, fucking god, dude. Uh, one thing I, I was I was meaning to mention that uh, I, I read this in a lot of different reports or some earwood reports and stuff like that, and some people said that they were getting a lot of like auditory hallucinations. Which, not having done ketamine, I don't really know how that uh, matches with that. But does, in, with ketamine, do you get a lot of auditory hallucinations, or is it like um? Not everybody does. Okay. So I actually looked up one time a long time ago when I first experienced the uh, effect of having um, people in the room that you just hear them like talking. And it's usually so a lot of the times that this would happen with me is that I would do a K-hold dose after whoever I was spending time with, whether it was at work or whether I was hanging out with people. And then I went home and I did this. I would hear and kind of see, but not fully see. Right. They're just like shadow people almost mm -hmm. um, in in the room. And I had a blindfold on. Right. So this is all in yeah. the head. Um, and uh, so I'm hearing them talking fully. I can hear like literally their voices. I've heard your guys' voices before, not oh. even just because I was just with you, but because your voices were the last thing in my head. Whoa. From So that's usually what it is, is. It's picking up on the last thing that you experienced within potentially the past like day. Um, and then you get, at least for me, that's what I get. But I looked this up one time and a bunch of people on the ketamine subreddit were like, no, that's schizophrenia. <laughs> like, Hell yeah. Well, you know what? <laughs> a fun thought that I just thought of, uh, you know, that Rolling Stone song, can't you hear me talking? No, no. Well, it's like, it's like, can't you hear me knock? Or no, sorry. It's wait, Jessica, can't you hear me Ryan, talking? you're off the fucking show with your boomer no, music dude, references. No, no, dude, it's, it's, fucking, it's, it's, this is a final straw. No, I'm let me, let me get this it. out. Let no. me get this out. This is a fun thought. So the song is "Can You Hear Me?" Can't you, it. is it? Can't you hear me knock knocking? So I don't know. It's some. It's on sticky fingers. Anyway, uh, the song is like it's like it's like can't you hear me knocking on your window? And then I was like, oh, how, that'd be funny if you were like you hear some voice like you're going through a full schizophrenic thing. You hear some voice and it's like can't you hear me talking? Jump out your window. <laughs> and oh, people, no, that's yeah. terrible. That's so bad. That is not a fun thought. That is not a fun thought. What if you're tripping on MXE and all of a sudden this song told you to kill yourself? <laughs> no, I was just saying like voices, dude. Like what if the voices told you to like, yeah, I don't know. I if thought you want to hear more stuff like this, go to our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was a fun thought, dude. My bad. <laughs> I'm not hey, killing just, yourself uh, with the fucking The one thing sick. I will mention is that uh, uh, being like... Uh, um, making light of something like that can be pretty bad just due to the fact no. that there are listeners no. who likely have people uh, that they've lost due to suicide. Um, yeah. So obviously right. it was not serious. And if that, <laughs> no, did I know, to you, I know that did happen to you. I'm sorry if I triggered you. That's not what I meant to do. I just thought warning. that was funny. In, it's like a fun fact or it's like a, uh, wait, did I say fun fact after or something? <laughs> yeah. It's a fact it's fun. Like a, it, it's a trigger warning after the fact, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> cool. Well, so, just to say, um, I would see that most likely this one would cause auditory hallucinations then, but no, maybe not for everyone, right? So, yeah. Um, but maybe more so than ketamine due to it being more psychedelic than ketamine. Gotcha. Yeah, the, okay, yeah. So the whole reason I brought this up is because uh, somebody that I saw, like, read or, or said a thing that they... 
they had like basically like a whole like report and they were like saying that they're hearing like really gnarly like buzzing and like weird just distortion like audio audio distortions and stuff which i was like oh that's interesting you know what i've been looking up is if you have tinnitus and take psychedelic drugs or even weed you have a higher chance of having auditory hallucinations yeah yeah so i think a lot of that is because your brain even so with tinnitus but then with things like deafness um not from birth right um so like from explosion uh, yeah or just loud yeah. noises or anything like that or even just like later on people have like the eustachian tube dysfunction type stuff where at one point they start to lose hearing in, in one ear maybe um then their brain will start to account for that yeah and like rebalance so that if they were to ever get their hearing back in that ear they would end up hearing things way too loud because oh. the brain has been adjusting for it interesting um, the same way that your brain adjusts when you go blind it helps you with hearing more yeah, right. and touch and stuff and taste and smell. And so um, you, this, weirdly enough, happens with most dissociative drugs where the sounds, like whatever sounds are potentially in the room, whether it's just white noise, um, will be super amplified. And or even will, a ceiling fan or something. Yes, You'll start yeah. hearing the ceiling fan going like, hey, hey, yeah. hey, or something no, weird. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I've had conversations with my AC Yeah, um, <laughs> because it's so loud. And I turn it on on purpose, actually, before a cable <laughs> experience because of that. Because yeah. I, I want to have the white noise be this thing where I literally will hear the AC start up and then it sounds like it's like taking off. Yeah, I think I think if (laughs) for for many of the our listeners out there that might have tried just even whippets, you know, nitrous, you they know what we're talking about. You have like anything playing in the room when you take a nitrous, like uh, any amount of nitrous, you start hearing the craziest auditory hallucinations. Yeah, Yeah. and it's weird because the further you get when you're about to like pass out, is it's like it's. (laughs) That's and then actually we see that with DMT experiences too. When you get mm-hmm. very, very high on DMT, you'll start hearing like a, a ringing type of sound. Yeah. Um, it's very weird. I think what that yeah. is a lot of the time is that you're, with, when you think about just the effect of what these drugs are being dissociative, um, they're shutting off all these other sensory things, all the things that you normally would be picking up, like feeling, because you're getting numb. You're losing all of your like body sen- sensations, but there's still one sensation going on, and that's in the head. And so your head, once it's off, once it's lost all of this communication from other parts of the body, it starts making up shit on its own. Yeah, and you see that with dreaming, right? Dreaming is this thing where we're highly unconscious, but at the same time, we're still very conscious in a way because we're fucking playing dreaming out all this crazy the shit. Out. Yeah, yeah well, same. these drugs really. A lot of people would say that they're they're like uh, it's like a key into your own dreams. Well, I thought it was oxygen deprivation that caused the nitrous oxide. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back on to the M hole. <laughs> no, yeah, back in the M hole. So, with the M hole, users report a longer come up and duration of effect, but otherwise a very similar subjective experience to a K hole. Although descriptions vary, the common feature is a profound derealization and depersonalization extended to a loss of individual identity or the existence of the outside world completely. So yeah, all the things we've described with K-holes or just dissociative drugs in general, you start to lose um, uh, the grip on reality, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) At least visually. Uh, Vivid hallucinations and delusions are also commonly described with some of the more troubling effects being things like dizziness, vertigo, nausea, vomiting, confusion, and even loss of consciousness. So, yeah, all, all very standard things that you'd expect with this kind of drug. You know, nothing really out of the ordinary, I, I noticed, in the effects. Uh, it, so, legally speaking, 
this drug actually, super interestingly, became illegal technically federally on June 6, 2022. Wow. Found and that's in the that- U.S.? So that well, okay. So it's been in an umbrella kind of law uh, for a while, but on June uh, June sixth, twenty twenty two, the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration published a final rule placing MXC in Schedule One of the Controlled Substance Act. So I bet until now it was just under the umbrella. uh, uh, What is it? Fucking federal analog. Federal analog act. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Well, and I think in the UK it's been a class one for a while now it's illegal pretty much everywhere yeah yeah well they uh they made it temporarily illegal in 2012 with the possibility of making it legal again because they basically wanted to see if like they basically banned it temporarily and were like all right we need to figure out like if this should be like fully illegal or not and then in 2013 they made it fully they made it schedule one which is crazy because schedule one as we know is for you know things that don't have any medical uh use and which is crazy because if this is an analog of ketamine we know how much you know medical use there is for ketamine so that's crazy i would argue though that maybe just use ketamine instead of this for in a medical setting but yeah yeah, sure it's similar to um um fuck what were we talking about recently like mdma versus mda (laughs) i thought you were gonna say synthetic cannabinoids versus weed (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely, that. <laughs> definitely that. I think that's a hard one to say, honestly, because there's actually still a huge push um, in uh, the science, the medical science community, of trying to find analogs of ketamine and PCP that are s- safer and more effective for depression and other um, medical issues, less toxic, less toxic. Yes. Yeah. So these drugs are always being made um, because ketamine is we like all know that it is highly toxic to the body uh, specific specific organs yes but highly toxic at a certain point um it could be highly beneficial in medicine but at one point it becomes kind of like a why would you continue to do that if your body is saying no right um, my body like, like, that, and it's sad because I've, I've had people on reddit that i had an argument with because he essentially was trying to say like well my doctor gives me ketamine i'm prescribed you know 100 something milligrams a day and I've been taking it for three months. I won't experience bladder issues. And I was like, why is that? And he's like, well, because my doctor gave it to me. He prescribed it to me this way. So it, it won't so happen smart. to me. And I asked him, like, how many ketamine users do you know? And he said, I've, I've never met anyone who's used ketamine. And I was like, well, then you have nothing to say. Because no matter what, these drugs, you're not going to be special um, and somehow just not be affected by it. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe one day, like, uh, or maybe it'll take longer, right, for some, for some people. Like, their body's more... Uh, uh, resistant to well, that, the damage. That's the way I feel about the people who you see just chugging alcohol all the fucking time into their like fifties. Right. Yeah. I'm like, when the fuck is your time coming? Well, and for some people, it's not not a long time though. Actually, no, yeah, because my my grandma, the one that looks like David Bowie, she uh, <laughs> your grandma looks like David Bowie. <laughs> yeah, we went yeah. over this. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I remember you saying that, but that's it was like about a year ago, probably now. This is Anyway, she, she lives on like a nudist, nudist beach uh, down in Texas. Dude, right? fuck yeah, your grandma's um, dope. No, she's a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, like hey, I said, your grandma sucks, hella Trump, hella Trump supporter. She asked my sister, like, when my sister was in college, she was like, oh, so how uh, are you going to be able to, or you, have you found a man yet that, like, makes enough money kind of thing? Oh, my God. Because, like, well, that's what, that's what you're planning. Yeah, she asked her, she's like, are you going to leave college to, like, 
like get a man but okay so anyway she um she was drinking to the point where she lost 90 percent of her liver right god damn yeah no i know she's in the hospital ready to die right now and guess what no 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 this was like a few years ago my mom went to texas and everything to like say goodbye and then afterward now she just drinks wine and beer and she did this thing where when my mom was living in the fifth wheel trailer she like out of nowhere just walked out the door without the freaking steps out (laughs) <laughs> she face planted. She, she, she got right back up. Uh, but anyway, that's my. Uh, oh, yeah. dude, your grandma is fucking wild. What I mean dude. is, what I mean is that, like, legit, I do think that there's some people where you could look at them and be like, okay, well, they should be dead any any day now by alcohol, and mm-hmm. they just somehow yeah. won't, and they probably will live to like ninety. Well, you guys me. both know I have someone that's like close to me that told me they had a year to live. Doctor said maybe six months to a year max. Like you have uh, like liver, your liver is failing essentially. And then they went, I think six months without drinking and now they're drinking every day again. I don't know if they're alive now, but I have a theory. Do you think they were ingesting adrenochrome? Probably. Staying young? (laughs) No, fireball out of the bladder. So it was like, it was more piss like. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Fiery piss. Yeah. Oh, did you, did you guys see that thing I sent you guys earlier about piss stabs? No, but for the history <laughs> of MXE, in contrast to many novel psych- uh, psychoactive substances, the origin of MXE is known, at least who made it. Uh, MXE was synthesized in the UK by a pharmaceutical scientist known as M for self-medication purposes. This chemist's identity remains anonymous, but they were willing to speak with Hamilton Morris in an interview for Vice back in 2011. M, the chemist who discovered methoxetamine, claimed that the compound contained every necessary function group to require uh, fun- <laughs> contained every necessary functional group required to produce the perfect dissociative. Hmm. Pretty cool. So he kind of sounds like a neo shulganist kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. Shouts out Doctor Z. If anyone hasn't listened to that episode yet, they should. Yeah. Yeah. And the chemical was intended to be a quote unquote stress free alternative to ketamine. Not what it turned out to be, but because <laughs> he essentially was making this drug to be a less toxic version of ketamine, because we know ketamine is toxic, at least on the bladder heavily. Um, this drug made headlines in the UK as the crazy new party drug that everyone was taking, yet many people believe that a lot of the hype was being driven by the way that the drug was being sold, as MXE was one of those designer drugs being sold online uh, by people similar to what we see nowadays with the Instagram pages, their entire Instagram dedicated to selling illicit substances and items. Like Ryan mentioned in the beginning, there was the Rafflecopter website. Um, One of the people on Vice that has written an article, I think came out in 2013, said that he had never heard about it living in the UK until he got an ad for the website, Rafflecopter. Which yeah. I found very interesting because he was like, okay, well, the news is saying it's all this hype. Like after he looked it up after seeing the website, the Raffle Copter website, and he's like, the news is saying it's all this hype. I don't know about it. My friends don't know about it. So it's really a weird drug in the sense that a, a lot of people say it was really popular, but other people feel like they were either left out of the loop because the, the the guy for Vice was like, I don't know how a new drug craze came in and left without me seeing it because I do drugs. So yeah, it's probably one of those just like very niche communities. Like if you know, you know, and like if you do know, you're obsessed with it. And if you don't, then it's like, well, you're you're not in the loop. 
Yeah, I'm just used to being left out of the loop, so I just <laughs> fuck it. I never know about any cool shit. Man. <laughs> kind of how ketamine. It's kind of how ketamine was for a while, though. Here, um, people didn't really people heard about it, but they never really saw it around. It wasn't like at a party. It wasn't something that people were offering you. And now it's at a point where, as you guys have also seen and observed, like that it's everywhere. Yeah, um, yeah. Everyone's talking about it. It's kind of a uh, trend people who I never thought would talk about it or care about it or do it all of a sudden are like yeah I did ketamine last weekend I know yeah it's fucking yeah. wild it blows my mind I went to um uh my friend's house and their roommate was like bragging about how she did ketamine with some random dude she met and like rode his jet ski and shit and I'm just <laughs> like and she's like straight edge I thought <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's funny crazy. well yeah. I think that that's the thing is that now there's even more people open to using it because they've heard about it in the news right. um, as being a really good thing um and so they're like, well, if it's a party drug, but it's also good for you, might as well use it. Yeah, I yeah. think I've also heard of people being like, yeah, I thought it was Coke and it was K, but like still fun, you know? <laughs> yeah, dude, I hear that so often. And then I also hear people that are like obsessed with doing K that don't really know much about it. And they just only read about like the positive facts. And they're like, oh, dude, it's the best. And it's like, you also know that like you're damaging your uh, your fucking bladder and shit. Right? They're like, nah, it's only if I do it every day. And I'm just like yeah all right well and that's anyway. i mean that's the thing is that that's only been known we our first report of ketamine bladder sh- symptoms was on reddit in 2007 i mean it's not been a very well-known thing like doctors have just started to really get an idea that yes it's bad for the bladder um and so there's going to be some doctors i bet in certain states like the midwest and the south that won't even know that um mm, because true. they are not as uh, progressive as we are over here um and true. so then in other states, other cities, or other countries, right? Even there's going to be even more of that. Um, in the UK, they're seeing a whole lot of it because the doctors constantly have to deal with it. But then, you know, if you were to go over to somewhere like um, Romania, maybe they're not as um, knowledgeable. Until doctors are AI-driven robots, I won't trust them. Because doctors, <laughs> at the end of the day, are still opinionated humans. Oh, yeah. So, uh, like you were saying with your doctor experience, like doctors are just fucking opinionated as shit. So they're going to draw their own conclusions wherever they want. And even if a doctor uh, like knows about the ketamine bladder issue, they're going to think, "Oh well, I wouldn't even be allowed to prescribe enough to damage someone's bladder," or kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I, don't know. I just had a fun thought, and this is a f- more fun thought than my other thought. <laughs> so stick through this with me. Uh, do you think eventually doctors are just gonna like when you like you tell a, a doctor like all of your uh, all of your symptoms and stuff and they're just typing into the computer? Do you think they're just typing it into Chat GPT and it's just fucking giving them answers? They're like, oh yeah, yeah, do this, do this, because like doctors don't even know better than Chat GPT. I mean, probably because my doctor uh, Googled some Zoloft stuff because she couldn't remember exactly what she was trying to say. When she Hell said yeah. it. So she pulled up like WebMD or something and was like, oh yeah, so this is these are the effects. <laughs> That's awesome, Sick, dude. <laughs> that is that's a reliable doctor. <laughs> you have to you have to make an account to use Chat GPT. No thanks. <laughs> Anything. Anyway, let's get back onto the MXE train. <laughs> Raven's like, I have to go through the steps of making an account. Fuck that, dude. That's just giving it more of your information. Fuck dude, just that. make a fake account, dude. Use a fake Yahoo email, dude. Just be a fucking an agent of chaos. Yeah, dude. You know what, Raven? You're yeah. a freaking Yahoo, dude. I already am an agent of chaos. I type the, mo- the most bullshit online. So, uh, anyway. You guys just made me want to get a Yoohoo. A Yoohoo. 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 Do you got any of that mm hole? <laughs> so, so, Ryan. Ryan, this the is Michael a... Hole. 
this is a good uh, time for you to talk about some of the culture surrounding yeah. MXE, the drug. Yeah. Where, where, where were we at in the UK around this time? Well, we're talking about the guy who made it in the first place. Yeah, uh, the guy. chemist named Mmm. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> and his hole. <laughs> and his hole, yes. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so one important thing about this guy is, so he grew up in London, and when he was very young, I think he was like six or something like that, or he was, he was super young, his hand got blown off in an explosion uh, from the uh, nice. IRA because uh, I guess oh, they not nice. they've been they've been beefing during that time. And uh, what is the IRA again? They're uh, the it's like North Republic Irish or whatever. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's like a fucking it's a, like a group in Northern Ireland that were like causing a bunch of ruckus. It's uh, the Irish it Republican like a, Army. Yeah. Okay, so it is like military type. It is yeah. a terrorist organization, I'm pretty Basically, sure. Basically, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah uh, it, the IRA has been classified as an illegal terrorist organization by the British and Irish authorities. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, Damn. boy. So, yeah, that negative shout out them, but please don't kill us. Nah, dude, the Irish are fucking sick, dude. <laughs> dude no. <what? laughs> I'm just kidding, stop, dude. I should probably stop contributing 5% then. <laughs> to the IRA. <laughs> yeah, why do I have to give the IRA my taxes every year? <laughs> oh, IRS. Uh, anyway. No, no, I meant like, you know, my IRA 401k account. account <laughs> you have an IRA account, dude? Of course I do. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> anyway, so uh, this dude got his hand fucking blown off by the IRA. And was uh, having symptoms of what's called like phantom limb syndrome. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the actual technical term. I'm pretty sure it is. Mm-hmm. Yes. But um, anyway, that's essentially when you when you used to have a limb and uh, you feel like it's still there, but it's not. And you a lot of people experience like pain. Um, most of the time, people experience pain. Some other people experience just other random sensations of I I can't imagine being pleasure, but maybe. They're just it's like general a tingling feelings. numbness. Yeah, uh, it's like very unpleasant. It's kind of like when your foot falls asleep or something. Yeah, you know how it can hurt, but it's also tingling and like sh- like staticky. Yeah, it just feels. I'm pretty wonk. sure that's what yeah. th- like that very similar to what phantom pain, right? Or fa- phantom limb pain feels like, right? And so he had tried a bunch of different things and, and nothing really helped. And so he kind of looked into this whole thing of being like, oh, okay, like you know what could possibly fix this and stuff and so he figured out that um this particular drug um methoxetamine is super helpful for that and so he tried it and uh was blown away by how he was able to fucking again what he got blown away for a second time. <laughs> I think that yeah. was a no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude he got fucking <laughs> yeah so homie was blown Over. away, <laughs> and um, he said it was just super helpful. That M hole, <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> no, you're good. Uh, so and he was just like, yeah, you know, like I I tried it and I it completely helped with the phantom limb syndrome thing. And so he was like, all right, so like, how do I get this made? And contact figured out how to get it made in China. And I guess apparently this class of drugs were like Chinese companies like didn't want to make it at all because of the. Whatever to do with this class of drugs, you could like get the death penalty for it, and uh, yeah, they have a really hard uh, issue with ketamine. I think in um, Hong Kong, yeah. yeah, and Singapore as well, and uh, I think a lot of a lot of Asian countries over there. Yeah, we talked about that in the ketamine episode when we were talking about the lady who sniffed the 
whole the table. whole bar, yeah. <laughs> the entire bar length line of ketamine mm-hmm. and died. She gave herself the, the death yeah. penalty for ketamine. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I bet she was drunk. Yeah, that's so scary to think of. It's a lot I mean, of you're nose at the beers. Bar. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah. off them what beers you- and nose beers, dude. <laughs> I could do everybody's ketamine in this bar. One line. Let's go. All at once or one at the same. Or all. Oh, I don't know. What I'm saying. All for one yeah, or one ahead. for all, dude. <laughs> one for all. One, all for one. Yeah. Uh, I'm too calfed up, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you're off that calf, dude. Raven's <laughs> off the, 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 the K-Mex. Yeah. <laughs> He's off that c right, That dude. sounds like a cereal. K-Mex, dude. Hell yeah. <laughs> anyway, so this guy got some of it made and, and started using it a lot and a lot of people a lot of people that tried it uh said the same thing that the phantom limb syndrome was pretty much gone uh when using mxe which is pretty cool and so a lot of places like um uh like pain management places were giving it out in a lemon flavored linctus which is essentially just a little syrup uh they're sipping on that sir and sipping on that scissor <laughs> Sipping on that link. Sipping on that link. And yeah, and but uh, apparently it was not very tasty. And so um, a lot of people didn't like to, you know, drink it because it was just this thick fucking syrup that just lingered in your throat and didn't taste very good. So the other way to do that uh, to get in your system was boofing it. And, uh, you know, people who don't know what boofing <laughs> is, give, give it a goog. Essentially, it's yep. putting it up your rectum. <laughs> and uh, so you can bypass your taste buds. Uh, but the only drawback with this is uh, you get some syrupy butt cheeks, which is uh, oh, okay. just some sticky buttocks. Uh, yep. And uh, so, yeah, you may be not having to taste it, but you're freaking... <laughs> yeah, you know what's up. <laughs> sounds like a, it sounds like a pretty cool lube uh, for um, some chem sex party. I mean, I feel like the opposite, dude. You're just gonna, it's like you're gonna be, it's like you're a dog, dude. You're gonna get in there and you're just gonna get stuck, dude. Have you ever seen dogs have sex and they just, the wiener just gets stuck inside the other one and they just get yeah. stuck there have for a while? Have you not seen that video of the chicken that gets stuck uh, yeah. to the back? Of <laughs> I the... did see that. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so, yeah, I assume that's what would happen if you were to use this as lube. <laughs> well, yeah, so, I guess it's it syrupy, stuck. but have you never used syrup? It's pretty fun. I bet it tastes pretty good, dude. (laughs) It helps you bypass the god of the M hole. It's like, why does your butthole smell like agave? (laughs) So I will say, you told everyone to give it a goog, right? Yeah. Well, I gave it a bing because I don't use Google. But all right. So. Boof boof image search uh, filter off uh, gives you some dude dj boof so nothing fun Hell there yeah Whack. uh and then the urban dictionary for boof honestly i don't know what it means but some kid in my italian class keeps on threatening oh to God. do it to the teacher <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna boof you <laughs> i feel like you know that's been said by kids in school oh uh, uh, you have to scroll down to the second result on urban dictionary uh, boof to abuse any illicit or illicit substance via insertion into one's rectum dude i just saw brian boofing some booze last night at a party rad is our example <laughs> rad dude nice he's plunging yep. squelching noises <laughs> uh anyway so yeah um so i don't know you you can boof this but uh fucking i mean you know the consequences <laughs> so anyway uh so a lot of people were i assume a lot of people dealing with phantom limb syndrome probably have some sort of depression or anxiety some sort of stress about this 
And so um, I'm sure this relieves a lot of stress if you, you are able to take it and it helps with the phantom limb syndrome. And it also, a lot of people said that it's, uh, it help. It's not like you have to take it every day. It's like, like a few sessions of this, like has been helpful for like long periods of time. So it's not like you have to like wake up and do this every day. So you don't feel your fucking phantom limb. Um, it, it, it's very helpful for, uh, just helping with the future, which I'm sure Micah can probably get into with science and stuff, but maybe why that is. Um, and anyway, so a lot of people also were experiencing just in general, just PTSD and, uh, in general people who deal with depression or PTSD or whatever, they've said this is super helpful with as well, which we can probably get into later more as well with the science stuff. Um, so basically just kind of just want to just talk about the, the military, because we're talking about PTSD and stuff like that. And a lot of, a lot of legal highs have become super popular in the military over the last like 20 years. Um, essentially when these things first started coming out, like synthetic cannabinoids and, you know, methadrone and all these different things that, you know, don't show up or either don't show up on drug tests or they're just legal. So it's like, no one can really get you in trouble for doing it. And so it's actually raised a lot of concern because, uh, it kind of, questions are military readiness is what people say and a lot of that's been in the news and stuff like that and which i don't necessarily agree with but it is a point um there's a lot of people are basically saying that's like oh if someone's on a dissociative like while we get attacked then like how helpful are they like if everyone in the fucking company is on a dissociative and we get bombed like fucking what are they going to do to help us I thought that if our uh, soldiers were in the M hole, it's a don't ask, don't tell kind of situation. <laughs> True. <laughs> Probably. True. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. Some of the media is fucking needs to fucking butt out. Mind of our, their fucking business. They need to dude. fucking. Yeah, dude. They need to butt out of our M hole. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Get that butt out of here. Big <laughs> butt out of here. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah. Thanks, dude. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so, uh, yeah, the media basically was just like kind of blew it up when they were trying to make it illegal and they were, and when the whole rafflecopter thing was going around, they were just like, oh, like what if, what if someone attacks us and the military's on the dissociatives? Like no, nobody's going to be able to help us. And it's like, in reality, the entire company's not going to be on dissociatives and they're probably not doing this every day. Although it, they could be because we talked about the addictiveness and, uh, the, or the, it's not necessarily addictiveness, but just like the the redosing thing of just constantly doing it over just and over kind again. Of a temporary addiction <laughs> in a way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. that's part of what makes a lot of drugs addictive is mm-hmm. True. their um, short duration and the you know good feelings that you get in that short period of time. Right, feeling like you want to just keep on keeping that going, keep on keeping on. Yeah, true. <laughs> so anyway, I, I mean, I guess it is a good point for sure, but it's also like you know, I I can't imagine people in you know especially in the middle east or in in places that are more liable to get attacked than u.s like soil um like you know people are probably going to attack military bases overseas than attacking u.s soil for the most part just because it's uh closer (laughs) to them um it happened today yeah yeah you were saying in iran uh there were some bombings in syria in syria that's what it was okay Uh, i don't know I don't look at the news. <laughs> All right. It popped it popped up on my phone. It usually doesn't. Did uh homeboy get arrested yet? Nah. Which homeboy? Trump. Oh no. Yeah, he was supposed to get arrested on wow. uh, Wednesday or Thursday, but they're saying now it might be next week. Cause, but they're asking his whole like team to like testify and stuff now. Nice. Cool. So 
Anyway, um, maybe, maybe he'll start doing M hole. Well, someone's gonna do his M hole. <laughs> yeah, if he goes to prison, <laughs> he goes to prison. Someone's definitely gonna be getting his M hole. <laughs> Dude, uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and uh, they were talking about like uh, I guess someone someone made a meme of Trump doing the fucking prison. Uh, uh, like stance, I guess, or whatever. Like you know, when people take like prison pictures or whatever, like they did yeah. that, but they put fucking Trump's face on one of the guys, and I was like, that's hilarious. That's really funny. Um. Anyway, yeah. so back to the whole fucking military thing. So, uh, that's part of the reason why the media was like blowing it up is they were just like, oh, you know, what if we get attacked? No one's able to help. Whatever. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily a super cause of concern because I don't think. Uh, I mean, if someone, if even if one or two people or a few people were on this while we did get attacked, that doesn't mean that like we're fucked. It's like okay, like a couple people are fucked up on this. Like everyone else is still good to go. <laughs> so uh, it is, it is a slight concern, but it's also like I don't know. I don't think it's crazy big concern. It's kind of blown way out of proportion, in my opinion. But also, who knows? I'm not there. I'm not in the military. I don't know. What oh, you're saying that the media blew something out of proportion? No <laughs> fucking way. That's so crazy. Yeah, first time That's ever. That's the dude. hottest take you've had, honestly. First time ever, dude. Fucking first time hot take. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So anyway, but it, it's it's used a lot apparently in the military as well as like other people who are using other legal substances, but um. It's super helpful for, for PTSD. I read a lot of stories of people that have been um, in, you know, the uh, in that whole war with Iraq and Afghanistan and all that, and mm-hmm. um, people that have been in like hand hand con- um, combat and have been really fucked up from it. And they're saying that like PTSD is their PTSD is gnarly, and they've tried many other things like opiates um, and. Uh, they haven't. I, I didn't read any reports of people trying ibogaine before this, but uh, people basically just trying like uh, methadone and stuff and all, all sorts of different things to try to like just numb themselves from this pain that they're in, and just having no no positive effects until trying MXE, and then people being just like, wow, like this is the one thing that is like very very helpful for our PTSD. Like even have people who've tried ketamine and said that it wasn't nearly as helpful as this. Interesting. Okay, that, that kind of, su- of sense. Yeah, really, that surprises me because really? I feel like people with PTSD and uh, like physical ailments, and even P- PTSD or depression due to their physical ailments, really cling to ketamine because it seems to help a lot. Yeah. Well, it does, but it's also the one that's actually around. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's a good like, point. This is gone. Well, because so. this one would help a lot with the the mental stuff, like depression, because of its psychoactive, like its psychedelic kind of experience, rather yeah. than being yeah. a very. It is still introspective, but yeah, like you said, ketamine can be dark, very introspective, very just like weird psychedelic. While this sounds a lot more like LSD in ketamine. Yes, and also yeah. it lasts longer. Yeah. So I actually have always felt that this compound and many of the. Uh, analogs of pcp and ketamine would actually be better for depression ptsd Mm. and uh, pain because they last longer yeah um that's an interesting thought you're you're spending more time in that headspace ketamine is very short a k-hole is like 10 minutes well as we know with the ketamine treatment centers you're they're putting you under just redose 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 essentially iv trying to keep you in that headspace yeah you get a drip Mm -hmm. because yeah so with this they you wouldn't have to do that as much. No, <laughs> yeah, nearly. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, just a lot of people have just said that it's it's also the. I read a, a very particular um, review, or I guess uh, there's an article of this one guy talking about it. 
And he was saying that it's like compared to ketamine, he said this was much more spiritual. It was much better for him to get into that headspace of like bringing all these things to the like to the front of like all these like problems that he has and is trying to deal with them. And and he said it like what you guys were saying, like it feels much more psychedelic, like it feels more spiritual. And he was having a lot of positive effects from that compared to like what ketamine did for him. And uh, so this particular person was um, inter- either intramuscular or uh, insufflating um, MXE uh, two to three times a day at 50 milligrams, which is not a huge dose, but like it's definitely like more than like a threshold dose. And that's high all day. I mean, yeah, it, but he's also building the tolerance too. Yeah. So with tolerance, like that is not actually a lot, really. Right. Because like with drugs like this, they are drugs, especially when being sniffed. They're drugs that people will typically have a plate out of, you know, a gram or two grams of powder that they're chopping up into lines and continuously doing um, for whether they're at a party or maybe it's just all day at home, right? Or maybe it's after work at nighttime, but they're going to maybe go through a half gram or a gram. I know that the doses seem like they're saying, okay, well, if you were to take a whole gram, that'd be a lot. But these types of drugs, you can continuously redose over a period of time and then uh, kind of maintain a headspace. Um, and just because you got up to a half gram in one night doesn't mean you actually are incredibly fucked up. Right. It, you know. No, it's a good point to make for sure. Just so people don't think that like, you know, you can just keep doing it all day and just get fucked up from it because that's not what's going to happen. <laughs> uh, it just depends. Yeah, it really does depend because a, a lot of it comes down to just how whatever, how long the duration of the drug is. And then the more yeah. tolerance you have, that duration decreases and decreases and decreases right um so yeah yeah um so anyway i mean that's essentially the last thing i have for like military stuff i did want to just mention the use in the uk of how actually popular this was before 2012 when it was legal is in i read that in the uk at one point it was 73 percent more sought after than any other drug like ketamine or mdma or mda like because of this being legal it was so fucking sought after. And you, you know how we've said about statistics. We don't really believe statistics that much. So 73% is a broad, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a broad, it's a, it's a broad number. Like, uh, it's, it's a, it's not probably super accurate, but it just shows how popular this was compared to other drugs at yeah. that time. What it shows is that with the survey that they did, like the population that they got, it right. shows exactly what it shows. And that's right. 73% of the people that they looked at. And so it is a lot. Yeah. Whether or not you want to extrapolate that out to the entire population of the country, it's up to you. But it really, it this the statistics at the end of the day are always going to be um, what they are. And it's not always going to be like, oh, this is accurate. But it also comes down to the way that you're thinking about it. So yeah. if someone just thinks 73% and then they their brain instantly goes to, okay, I'm thinking about that being 73% of all humans um, in this region of the country, that's just silly right? to think that. But, yeah. you know, that's up I to think you. Th- I think that's where uh, statistics, statistics become misleading is because it just says 73% of people... It says yeah. of people, but no, it's right. of drug users because yeah. they're not going to be fucking knocking on Suzanne's door with three kids and a husband being like, oh, what kind of drugs do you go out and looking for? Because she doesn't right. do it like right. she, she's getting benzos from her doctor or well, whatever. So how many times have you guys uh, said anything on a survey? I've lied. Your drugs. I've I have lied on almost surveys. never taken at, for a survey. Dare. 
Yeah, I've almost never done it. I've done it for Airwood once when Maps was like putting out stuff and they wanted people to write surveys about mystical experiences yeah. um, with psychedelics. So I wrote one of those. But that's like it. When you think about the amount of surveys that come out all the time where you're like, oh, I could, I'm a part of that. Like uh, yeah, the, the demographic that they were looking into. And then you go, well, I didn't take that survey. So right. then it kind of helps you get an idea of like, well, there's so many more. So actually a lot of the times that's that, that number, you can almost think of a lot of times it being more because yeah. it's kind yeah. of like you know that's a, a lot of fucking people but it also depends on where they went like what like how i've mentioned in previous episodes a lot of these drugs have specific types of genres of music that are associated with them right. whereas like you're not going to see them at a certain type of club you'll see them at another type of club so if people right. are only going to certain clubs which i know that some of these studies that have been done in the uk to show uh, to get this data have been at uh, specifically like gay clubs uh, um, yeah night, nightclubs and stuff um that where ketamine is already being used a lot. Right. And so it makes sense that they would see a lot of this drug being used there. But now if you were to go to like some park uh, where there's just people out there with their families hanging out and then go and survey them, um, you might get a lot of different results. So yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, you are correct about that. So it's good to, it's good to differentiate that when you're, when you're giving statistics of like, these aren't fucking super accurate, but in that, in that culture, in whatever group that they did, you know, survey, it was fucking crazy popular. So, yeah, uh, which is pretty interesting that, you know, uh, something that I've never heard of and that a lot of people never heard of, uh, was that popular that like, like what you said, or one of you guys, I don't know who, but, um, mentioned that article of that vice guy that was just like, I do drugs and I have never fucking heard of this until like it was already gone. Yeah. And that is what's strange is, um, I'd say it is still a niche community that loves it so much and considers it like the holy grail of any compound that's ever been made. Right. Um, but nowadays, like whenever there's research chemical, um, like uh, derivatives of ketamine or PCP that are being created and, and sold, um, they're always referring to it as an MXE replacement, not a ketamine replacement. Oh, it is always going to be about mxe and pre-ban mxe so mxe that's being sold online sometimes it will be sold and it'll be sold in very small amounts like 100 milligrams because someone has pre-ban what they say is stuff from back in you know 2012 right or 2010 um that they've held on to and then they'll sell it for upwards of 400 to 500 dollars a gram um Damn. and people will buy that uh because they miss it so much it's almost and like quaaludes wow. It is actually a lot of it reminds me of quaaludes in a big in a big way because of that weird like for us we've never seen a quaalude but yeah. yet when you hear certain people talk about them it's this crazy thing that they're just like oh I, I miss it so much and I wish that it was still around that's how if you were to go into like the uh, dissociative subreddit or the ketamine subreddit um, or even the MXE one which is just not as popular anymore because it's, no one's talking about it as much um, if you go into these, though, the ketamine and dissociative one, you're going to see a ton of people relating all the new compounds that they've tried to MXE. Um, it's just now considered like, and for the people that are part of the dissociative community and, and whatnot, they'll mention how sad it is for them that they missed that train. And I'll admit that, that for myself, um, I do love these types of compounds and uh, I am bummed that I never got to try it. But it was just something that I, if you kind of think about the time, like the years of when it was popular and then my age, um, I was in high school when this was pretty much trickling away. Right. So by the time that I even tried ketamine, this was gone. Right. Um, I had yeah. no opportunity to try it. And the people that I did know that tried it were a couple of years older than me and they tried it when they were very young. 
Um, but I almost wonder if that then holds the same kind of mythos as people who are like, no, you've never tried real cocaine. The cocaine in the 90s was so much fucking different, you know, and it's not really. No, it's so, definitely not. Yeah. But you have those people, right? Yeah. And these people who tried it years and years ago were young and you, you're always going to have a different perception when you're young, taking chemicals and like taking them later in life. Like when I used to smoke weed, it's way different than now. Yeah. Like I used to smoke weed and have fun. Now it's like weird crippling anxiety. <laughs> so chemicals yeah. can change up on you. <laughs> and yeah, so I almost wonder if there's some of that going on. And my biggest assumption is that, and it didn't stay around long enough um, for the scientific community to really figure this out, but uh, that there were isomers of it that mm. s- there might have been one that was actually better that once in a while people got. And it was just this incredible, incredible compound. And then there was other versions that just weren't. Uh, but it's hard to know. And the, one of the things that you'll see when you're on Reddit or some of these other sites um, where people are talking about drugs like this is you'll see them describing um, the different consistencies and like the batch. They'll call it like the batch. Oh, that batch from China and blah, 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 you know, month or time when it came out, the tan stuff like that was the that was the, you know, shit. And then the gray stuff was fucking terrible or something like that. You know what I mean? And so maybe a lot of that was uh, different isomers or different sort of versions of it. Um, but then at the end of the day, yeah, people nowadays, um, you're likely not going to meet someone who's going to talk about it. Um, it's going to be something that maybe that if they've done it, they'll write about it on Reddit, but it's not really in conversation anymore. The only time that you're ever going to really hear about it is if people are doing ketamine and someone mentions how, Oh, do you guys remember doing MXE? And maybe one person in the group of people will be like, Oh my God. Yeah. I fucking, I love MXE. Or some people will actually be like, no, fuck MXE because that shit fucked my friend up so bad because a lot of the times this was being sold as ketamine. Right. And not being told that it was much stronger and lasted longer and so then people would sniff what they thought was a ketamine dose and then they would get you know super fucked up at the concert or wherever they are and they'd be really angry about it um so there's still a a component to it like that where ketamine has that component where someone you know is is at a party and then they put their head down and sniff a big ass line of what they thought was cocaine and then they get ketamine and then they get you know pissed off and then they always will talk shit about ketamine after not not always but like some people will get that way where they're just like fuck that drug um, fuck the people that use it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, Which is like, was, the, oh, what's up? It's like diametrically opposed to the, like, someone accidentally drinking a drink that spiked with MDMA and then having a blast. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I need more of that shit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <Or> yeah. <acid. laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to relate it to, um, almost like, uh, like getting sold like MDMA, like what you thought was like ecstasy, but it was like really like just, something else like uh whether it be pma or whether it be uh some sort of research chemical like i know a lot of the ecstasy that was going around when i was in high school was like not even mdma at all um and then it could have been yeah i'm not sure but i know the first time i actually i hated ecstasy and then the first time i tried real mdma i was like oh this is nothing like what i've been taking like this is dope <laughs> yeah and so i was always like dude fucking ecstasy sucks like this shit's not good and then people were like dude you just haven't tried re- like good ecstasy like i've tried those pills like those those suck that's like meth <laughs> Even I, though I, like, I remember in high school they just seeing a bag of like 50 like a blue pokemon pills or something <laughs> and it, they, like people being like yeah dude i took like nine of these and yeah. i think i've like started to get high and it's just yeah, like, yeah <laughs> because i i know who those were coming from and yeah. fucking those are the same ones i was taking dude, <laughs> dude yeah this this uh, no good scary. i'm so glad i never took one of those yeah dude i've taken like a fucking handful of those and been able to like drive like been totally fine like just like it felt like i was on like adderall and then i fucking 
Well, we'll save we'll save this story for the for the confessions. <laughs> yeah, that's for the, that's nice. for the Patreon. <laughs> if you, uh, yeah, a little, little mid fucking uh, episode shouty, dude. A little positive shouty to the fucking Patreon, dude. If you guys are interested in hearing more about our uh, personal experiences with these drugs, go over over the Patreon. Uh, Patreon. Don't drive while in the M hole. Yeah, Patreon.com forward slash d o o c, and you will hear our uh, confessions. <laughs> <laughs> Duke. Uh, don't drive on any of these drugs. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, the the really the one last thing I wanted to mention in in the culture is just like kind of what we were talking about, like the people like talking about how great MXE was, and a lot of the stuff that I read was basically people saying like this is like the best drug ever. Like this is like it's the it's a combination of like. The, the receptors and things that it hits in your brain is like the perfect combination of things which i think would lead really well into the science stuff and you can kind of talk about why that is but that was just the, the main takeaway that i got from researching about this was people were just like holy fucking shit this is the best well even the guy who made it yeah said. yeah and that was his goal mm-hmm. right right and so that's actually what's really cool about these neo-shulganist individuals are that they have the ability to write down a structure um and something that they think is, you know, uh, what they can essentially create a, a compound based on just their idea of how it's going to attach to certain areas of the brain. And then what now knowing what, you know, those receptors do or what kind of behavioral response you get from when um, these receptors are either activated or deactivated um, or partially activated. Right. Uh, they can get an idea before they've even created the compound or tried the compound of what it's going to do and even the dosage range of it and how long it's going to last. And so that's part of why these guys can make these compounds and actually have some confidence in um, taking them for the first time ever and having a pretty good idea of what they're going to do, which I just find really fascinating about science, right? Is that we're at a point now where people have this ability to do this and it's kind of nuts because then that's how these compounds are just always going to get made and come out. And to think that we've ever found the best compound is silly. Even LSD, right? To, to, to the three of us, that might be one of the coolest, best compounds that's ever been created. And it was very kind of random for him um, to create something like that. He didn't plan that out, right? Like these guys did. Right. But just think in 100 years from now, what kind of compounds are going to be made? Well, yeah. that's the thing that oh, stresses me out with research chemicals is you hear these weird fucking names, these crazy names, right? And your brain immediately writes it off. Because it's not one yeah. of the big titles that right. you've heard about your whole life that are safe or ha- they're, they're known about that thousands or tens of thousands or millions of people have taken. You know, your brain just writes it off. It's like, oh, that's <laughs> a research chemical. I don't need to try it. Or, but that's not the fucking case at all. All these chemicals have their own place and react in a certain way. It is like it is interesting these neo-shogunist type people that they can do this, but it also makes sense on a fundamental level of life. Everything is a chemical reaction. Everything in life is not a a chemical. No, there's a lot of physical reactions, um, which are completely different. Well, I mean, but these chemicals that you're ingesting are having a physical and chemical reaction inside your body. Definitely. Yeah. But to say that everything is chemical is just not true. I would say most things. Well, life is all of life is a chemical reaction. No, how not? No, because I mean that's the thing is that there's there's physical reactions and chemical reactions. It's it's a I could it's sit, a stew of both. I could sit here and just like ingest water and food and never move and survive. Burning wood isn't a chemical reaction. It's not. No, that's a physical reaction. Ah, I fucking Damn. science. Uh, one thing I, <laughs> I did want to one thing I wanted <laughs> to make. oxygen isn't a, is a chemical. 
You know what I mean? The, I no longer think science is cool. <laughs> <laughs> this guy uh, works in science. <laughs> one thing I did want to mention is that you were talking about like in like possibly a hundred years there might be other drugs that are even better and stuff like that. It's it's kind of like music because like in the in in the, relating it to music is I think a good thing because like there's a formula like there's a, there's a formula that everybody goes by and is like okay this is what the this is what people like so let's keep making stuff that people like. Which is essentially like, okay, we found like psychedelics that a lot of people like, like LSD and mushrooms. And so let's create all these analogs and stuff of those. And then same with like ketamine and all these other things. And, you know, in music, when someone gets very experimental and it may be very fucking cool, it may be awesome, but not the, the public may not enjoy that. And I think that's kind of similar to how a lot of drugs are right now. Is a lot of people are making remakes or things that are based off of other things of like, oh, if you like LSD, try this, you'll like this. Um, but I, I, I think. And maybe like we were even saying in like a hundred years, we might have something completely different and way more experimental uh, that has caught on to the public. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, music is a chemical reaction. No, <laughs> no. According to 11 sources, fire is a chemical reaction. Just as I thought. 11 sources, just... dude. Look up physical reactions. Just examples of physical reactions. Okay. I could be completely wrong on that one, part, which pardon me, but wood burning um, to me well, because it's the oxygen reacting with heat. So that's technically a chemical. Yeah. I mean... Anyway, we can move on. Yeah, we can talk about more chemicals. Yeah. We should do that. <laughs> um, well, okay, so cool, yeah. Um, when I when I mentioned these compounds that I love, um, they're a part of the aryl cyclohexamine class of drugs. So PCP and ketamine are the ones that are most widely known um, in this class of drugs. But then you have a ton of derivatives um, and even a drug called like M MK801 um, that was used a lot in research. But anyway, um, MXC is a member of this class. And so this class acts on the glutamatergic system via the antagonism of the NMDA receptor, which I've mentioned in previous episodes a little bit. But for anyone who's just listening to this one and hasn't heard um, me talk about uh, the NMDA receptor at all, um, this is usually um, really responsible for things like learning and memory. Um, and so to think that by blocking it off completely, um, you're going to affect learning and memory in some kind of way. And so when you th think about the effects that you guys were talking about earlier, um, when people ingest the drug, it kind of makes sense that if you block off all of your you know, uh, sensory ability for like learning and memory, for processing learning and memory, then you likely are going to end up with some kind of effect that might be like a, a dissociative type of a feeling where you've been shut off by um, the ability to intake information. So, you know, to learn something, you have to have the ability to actually like intake it, right? And so then to memorize something, you actually have the, have the ability to process what you've learned into that memory, like consolidate it and create the memory. So if you've now, if you've taken something that has blocked the ability to process what you've intake, so whatever sensory information or whatever information you're intaking, and then it blocks the ability for you to consolidate that into a memory, and this is a drug, right, then maybe you're going to get effects like we've learned about. Um, now, that's not to say that this is only causing, uh, or it, that the only reason that it has all of those beautiful, crazy effects to it are because of this antagonism NMDA receptor. That is not the case. That's not what I'm saying. It's just that this is the main key, like, key mechanism of action, that is known about with these uh, classes of drugs and then this drug as well. Um, so anyway, it's been suggested that the um, uh, N-ethyl group, which is um, kind of what this was, a, the addition to it that M did was um, putting this N-ethyl 
um, three methoxy group onto ketamine, sort of, and he created MXE. So anyway, it su- suggested that the N-ethyl group was selected to increase the potency and duration of action um, relative to ketamine, while ameliorating the bladder toxicity associated with chronic usage. So that was actually a really big part of it, was that it was thought that this compound could be something that would be not damaging to the bladder. And that's part of why so many people got interested in using it, was because it was being like advertised as a replacement of ketamine um, that wouldn't hurt your bladder. Um, so then people were like, oh, sweet, you know, ketamine was giving me bladder symptoms, so I'm going to try this. Um, but um, we'll see later that that wasn't the case. So the replacement of the 2-chloro with the 3-methoxy group was to decrease the anesthetic and the analgesic properties. Um, and so with these drugs, the aryl cyclohexamine classes, um, you'll see a lot of numbness, right? And the ability to put someone into like an anesthetic state so you could operate on them. And PCP was the first one that was mostly being used for that. And then they discovered that, you know, it was kind of difficult to operate on people who are still kind of awake <laughs> and moving around, but are also super numb. And so then ketamine was introduced. And we talked about that in our in both of those episodes. But this one, again, was now created to be not as anesthetic and as pain relieving, but still, you know, having the same benefits as ketamine does. Um, so importantly, these claims originated in the popular literature or online and are made without any kind of supporting evidence. Um, so they should be considered speculative at best. Um, and it's worrying to see that they sort of worked their way into the peer-reviewed literature as statements of fact. Um, but... And, and what I mean there is, is not the part of it being, you know, an analog of ketamine and being an NMDA antagonist. That's not speculative. It's the talking about it being better for bladder uh, health and then being uh, not as anesthetic and not as pain relieving. Um, so you're saying that's more speculative or that's more fact? The the following is more speculative. The, um, the, the fact is thing? the pharmacology side. Yeah. I see. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I needed to clear that up. But um, I know. So... Um, you know, mentioning that it's an NMDA receptor antagonist. Um, it's also an inhibitor of dopamine reuptake. Um, so the ability of dopamine to go back into the um, neuron that it first was released from into the synapse. Um, and it's an agonist of the muscarinic, cholinergic, mu and kappa opioid, uh, sigma-1 and serotonin receptors. Um, so like I said, the key mechanism of action is that it has the ability to block those NMDA receptors, but it actually has a slew of other um, effects which may make it uh, may maybe why it is so much different than some of the other compounds out there. Even though we know that ketamine also affects these uh, receptors in similar ways, it does it in a different way. And for one, uh, the affinity um, that MXE has for NMDA receptors is greater than that for ketamine, but less than PCP. So it's, it's sort of attaching and blocking these receptors more so than both ketamine. Um, Interesting. It's greater, greater for ketamine, but less than for PCP. Yeah, and it's a little hybrid. Yeah, and actually, <laughs> funny enough, like that kind of makes sense that PCB is sort of considered this very intense um, dissociative drug that doesn't really put you into an unconscious type of state so where you're not laying down and, and kind of inebriated. You have motor ability. You have the ability to move around. Interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, that's part of why ketamine is very, or PCB is very like uh, mental. It's yeah. mental mm. dissociation, not physical. So yeah, not, I guess that's why you see people freaking out and shit. Yeah, yeah or like walking around and doing things. Yeah. You yeah. know, with ketamine, you can't really walk. Or, or like it makes eating you very people's wobbly. faces and stuff. Yes, because that's totally what it does. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. um, that definitely was not synthetic cam- cannabinoids <laughs> at all. It was definitely PCB. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely PCB. <laughs> Duffling. Definitely. Definitely um, PCB. PCB. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... 
for the serotonin receptor, though, uh, MXC demonstrated greater affinity uh, than both ketamine and PCP. So this is part of why I think that it has this uh, psychedelic component to it that's hmm. even more so profound and potentially spiritual and introspective than um, something like ketamine or PCP is um, because there's a, a higher serotonin um, affinity and it's an agonist of it. So it's allowing serotonin to release um, into that synaptic cleft and stimulate other neurons. And so um, oh, this yeah. group, um, yeah, no, pretty dope. I honestly think that that's part of why it would be so good for things like depression and PTSD and stuff. Yeah, totally. Um, it's very similar to, uh, I don't know, very similar, but it affects serotonin similarly to like psilocybin and LSD, which we've seen how effective that is for PTSD and depression and all sorts of that jazz. Right, yeah, and that most of our um, kind of classic psychedelics that we know of are serotonergic compounds. Right, um, yeah. Which is just so cool that uh, this one also has that component to it, but it's not considered a... Uh, psychedelic it's more of a dissociative right so um this group of uh the remco westerink guys uh they also showed that mxc potently inhibits the uptake um via those monoamine transporters that i have previously talked about in other episodes but if anyone's not familiar these are um there's a the monoamines are like dopamine noradrenaline and serotonin and they have these transporters called uh just dat net and, and s-e-r-t um and it, pretty much what these do is they are the ones that will go in and take up um, once the these compounds, these neurotransmitters, have released into the synaptic cleft and are stimulating other receptors on other neurons, um, they need to be uh, recycled back into the neuron that they came from. They don't just go away. Um, and so they need a transporter. It's Essentially, it has this ability to go in and take them back. Um, and other drugs we've talked about, um, actually, their mechanism of action is based on these transporters. So things like Adderall. Um, are based on those transporters rather than based on just um, the agonism, right? Or the antagonism of something. Mm. Um, and so um, these other guys, uh, Muti and uh, his colleagues or their colleagues, uh, recently found that MXC activates the mesolimbic dopamine transmission in the rat brain um, in a time-dependent and dose-dependent manner. Um, this likely underlies its widespread use and abuse potential. And so if you guys haven't remembered um, from previous episodes, I've talked about this mesolimbic dopamine um, pathway, but um, I'll, I'll mention it you know, in a, in a couple uh, paragraphs here soon, but it's mostly uh, we're we're talking about the reward pathway, the addiction pathway, um, and and this kind of goes into why it's um, got a high abuse potential. Um, so these guys an- analyzed um, the rat hippocampal and medial prefrontal cortex tissue um, and showed that be- behavioral behaviorally active doses of MXE, so um, doses that actually would you know have an effect, right? Not just like a threshold dose or something. Um, of MXC ag- acutely increased the phosphorylation of ribosomal protein S6 in the rat medial prefrontal cortex and the hippocampus. Um, anyway, what this means is phosphorylation of this protein is involved in regulating uh, cell size pr- proliferation, so like growth, um, and glucose homeostasis, so the uh, kind of keeping the sugar balanced um, in the cell. Uh, and so the reason I mention this is that um, it relates to why MXC could be considered um, sort of damaging, um, but also leading to uh, changes in the brain that would likely end up making you more addicted to this compound with repeated use. So with repeated exposure to MXE, um, there has been shown to be uh, induced dopaminergic damage in this medial prefrontal cortex, which relies on the hippocampus to support learning and memory consolidation. That's kind of what the medial prefrontal cortex is uh, doing. And the hippocampus is essentially this region of the brain that's meant for memory consolidation. Um, the substantia nigra is also affected, though, and this is where most dopamine is produced and involved in motor control. 
Um, and the first thing that is ended up affected by Parkinson's disease. If anyone hasn't known that, this substantia nigra is this area that um, you start to notice uh, dopamine dying off uh, the most in the beginning of Parkinson's disease. Um, however, also the ventral tegmental area, um, which is that region involved in regulating learning and or memory, and more importantly, addictive behaviors um, through mediating dopamine release from other regions of the brain. And so then in addition to this dopamine damage, serotonergic damage was also reported in the nucleus accumbens, um, which is involved in drug-seeking behavior, and as well as the caudate putamen, which is a part of the basal ganglia that I've talked about as well, uh, which is a region that's very um, helpful in like um, regulating your, your ability to move um, and whatnot, uh, but also in memory. And um, so this caudate putamen is involved in integrating information related to cognition, motor control, and emotions. Um, so anyway, going into what I mentioned right before saying all of that jazz, um, which I hope made some sense to you guys. Do you have any questions about the you know the regions of the brain that I was talking about or where I'm going? It actually with this? helped make sense of the re, uh, redosing. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that's a lot of what this is kind of talking about. And because I mentioned in previous episodes this reward pathway or sort of system in the brain, um, I'm referring to this mesolimbic dopamine system, which is composed of that ventral tegmental area and the nucleus accumbens. Um, again, ventral tegmental area is involved in regulating learning and memory, but most importantly, addictive behaviors through mediating dopamine release from other regions. And then the nucleus accumbens um, is this area that's involved in drug-seeking behavior. So they work in hand-in-hand, -hand, um, and they are essentially making up what we call this mesolimbic dopamine system, but then in layman's terms, the reward pathway. Um, we see this being activated so much with anything that is rewarding, um, whether it's, you know, sex or buying clothes or whatever it is. And so you'll notice this region of the brain being activated in people who have highly addictive behaviors. And I want to mention that, you know, uh, remember that epigenetic modifications, so changes to your genes throughout life, um, from whether it's prolonged activation of this pathway, are likely going to be passed down to your offspring. You know, it's very likely. And then this indicates that the addictive behavior or drug-seeking behavior that, you know, we, we see with people can be hereditary and exacerbated with continued use. This this leads me to think that even the increase in sugar usage through the last few generations is going to increase drug use and drug addiction. I've always felt addiction. that way. I've yeah. always felt like the, to, to when, when I see parents with their kids, I'm like, you're essentially giving them drugs when they're young. And you're giving them it in a way of reward. You're yeah. literally saying, like, if you do good, I'll give you sugar. <laughs> you're reinforcing the thing that your body's already chemically reinforcing. Yeah. Like so you're doubling it down. And not only that, so the, the last few, like, for the last 200 years or whatever the fuck, that, that sugar has been in, insane. Uh, just it, It's been in use, like, everywhere. Like, candy is a new thing. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's had that reward kind of feature to it, to where it's like, you do good, here's a little sweet, here's a candy, here's a chocolate, you know? So well, Yeah, and as we've seen, one of the biggest drug dealers is Coca-Cola. Yeah, no, like, no they kidding. They are, like, their own massive, like, cartel in a way, because yeah. they've gone to other countries <clears throat> that have never had sugar right. in the amount that they did. And then they, like, Mexico is an example where they've dealt with huge obesity rates just due to Coca-Cola being more 
uh, available and cheaper than water. I wonder if there is a link between like, I don't know why my kid became addicted to drugs. Like my whole family wasn't addicted to drugs, but then you see the whole family for the last few generations indulging in huge amounts of sugar. Well, I'll say this. Oh. I, the first person <laughs> that I ever knew that got addicted to cocaine was someone who just when the first time I went to his house, I was so surprised that I had the ability to just go to the pantry and there was like a Costco amount of snacks. It felt yeah. like, yeah. and they were mostly snacks like Rice Krispie treats, Capri Suns, you know, sodas like canned soda and, and all this stuff. And I was like thinking to myself about that because I always wondered, like, okay, well, this person didn't really have a rough life growing up. Why did they get so addicted to cocaine? Right. You know, yeah. like they didn't have a lot of trauma and stuff. So why was that? And I've actually felt that way about. We've talked about that with Adderall, right? That Adderall is likely caused for some people an addictive behavior that they never really had. And like when they 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 may not have had it while they were on Adderall, but it's once they stopped taking the Adderall, then they started seeking out dopamine and all these other places. And this is, again, we're all, we're at the end of the day talking about dopamine, right? So these sugar uh, activates dopamine big time. It's, it's thought that it's eight times more addictive than cocaine. So it's very likely that, yeah, over time, the way that, especially in America, that we, we've treated sugar um, has created a lot of the drug addictions uh, oh, or at yeah. least, at least made them worse. You can Absolutely. It, oh, what? You can look at the maps of where sugar ingestion is the worst in the U.S., and a lot of the map lines right up with the opioid epidemic. Yeah, like, oh, actually, I'm not, I'm not even so okay. So what I've been trying to say is fucking me, my family growing up, fucking constantly like fucking Costco snacks, like literally what you just said. Like you go to the pantry and it's fucking snacks for days. My older brother fucking was very addicted to drugs for years. Is now oh, a wow. drug counselor and stuff like that. Uh, that's a cancer. I meant counselor. He's a drug cancer. I mean, look dude. at you with coffee. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it just shows like it, it, <laughs> it's, it's literally like fucking like treats for dogs and stuff like that. It's like, oh, cool. I did fucking something. Now I get a reward. It's like I yeah. clean my house. and I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah. Now I get to smoke a bowl. <laughs> yeah. like, like, as I've told you guys, as uh, in my research with mice, we used the little Fruit Loop as a way to get them to remember where things were. Um, and because that's a, it's a reward. It's they once they've figured it out, they dig and then they find the thing. It's like they get a little reward out of that. Yeah. And that is literally what like, we know why we're doing that to them. And it's it's not a drug, but it's actually for drug studies. That's exactly what you do is they when they do something, they go up and they can go and inject themselves or drink a little bit of the water or whatever it is that has the drug in it. And they will yeah. continuously, they'll get better, right? Like rats will get much, much better at doing the little tasks just so that they can get that drug quicker and over and over and over again if they want it. So this yeah. is why conservatives are mad about the participation trophies. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I was going to say is that fucking, dude, it's essentially like Coca-Cola is essentially the fucking, uh, the gateway drug to drugs. Like, dude, Coca-Cola yeah. Coca is, Coca is essentially uh, fucking starting, like they're worse than Big Pharma. Dude, Coca-Cola is starting yeah, the yeah. whole thing. to Coca-Cola is fueling the opioid epidemic, dude. Yeah. In a way, yeah. Well, and, and Nestle as well, right? Yeah, like definitely. just sugar and all these companies that create. Like I've always thought that I know we talked about this in the sugar episode, but I've always hated how much, at least in the U.S., um, these things that we know are bad now. Like this is not just something that's like some people argue about it. It's very well known that sugar causes, you know, it can cause diabetes, but then um, all these other things, right? It's addictive, and caffeine is addictive, and alcohol is addictive. But yet, you walk into your grocery store with your freaking kids or something, right? And those things are just there, and they're very available. But yet, you know, weed is this something that's super not available. And then obviously, all the psychedelics that we've talked about that are highly illegal, and you've got to know someone to be able to get them. There. I'll give a perfect example of what you're saying is the, the green zebra by my house just shut down. 
Big sad. Are you yeah, serious? R.I.P. They fully, they I all shut down. loved that place, dude. It's, that place it, was amazing. I went there all the time. Everywhere is shutting down in Portland. Yep. That so Green sense. Zebra, all over Portland, they shut down. They were like the neighborhood grocery store. They were fucking amazing. Um, everything was a little overpriced, but it's a neighborhood grocery store. Um, anyway, it was a health food store. Everything in there was incredibly healthy. <clears throat> but I went in there on their closing day, and one of the only things that was left was these red can energy drinks, quote-unquote, and across the can it said, organic, battle against the the norm of energy drinks, like, trying to do, like, we're the healthy one, we're the clean one, right? So I read the label. I'm like, yeah, I fucking doubt it. I read the <laughs> label, and the the second ingredient is sugar, and it was, like, 35 milligrams of sugar, or 35 grams of sugar, my Jesus bad. So it was a lot of sugar, like, equal to a soda. And I was like, how is this any more healthy just because you use green tea extract versus just synthesized caffeine like what the fuck's the difference yeah well and there's not like, no. as we've known there's just it's for some people it makes their brain feel better if it comes from a natural source yeah, yeah. and like they'll go out and they'll fucking kill those toads right or they'll, they'll get those toads um for that 5-meo dmt shit yeah um when they know that they could just take it from a chemist and they wouldn't have to you know, hurt. kill something. Yeah, yeah, and and I don't think they always need to kill them, but they do end up killing them. Yeah, when well, they, they go basically out to get them when a when a toad is when the those toads are the snoring desert toad. So we're talking about when it gets scared, it secretes this fucking this like gooey shit out of its back, which essentially has the five meo DMT in it. Because it's when like a predator tries to fucking eat them or whatever, they'll get scared and they'll like ah fucking and release that. The fucking predator will get high as fuck on five meo DMT and be like, what the fuck is going on this is real life and monsters inc speaking yes. of this is just like how the hollywood elite kill those kids for the adrenochrome yeah. when Dude, they literally just yeah. suck that shit out no literally so <laughs> what they do is they scare these fucking desert toads like they try to fucking get these they essentially torture these desert toads and like try to scare them to get them to secrete this fucking this goo and shit and it's fucked up dude it's like yeah. it's you're fucking torturing toads dude well, and, like, and, I've, and I remember when Hamilton went out there and talked to some of those guys is that the sad part about when you go out to look for them is that you have to look for them at nighttime and then you have yeah. to turn your lights on to try to get them to come out. And so then um, uh, the guys that are driving their trucks around in these areas are just running over tons of them. Yeah, it's fucked um, up. Because they, they're just always all around the road and stuff. So anyway, yeah, yeah, we'll have to talk about that soon. Um, yeah, absolutely. In episode, I'm excited to do that because I have that book that Hamilton got like published that was essentially the the first guy that ever wrote about um uh finding out that 5-MeO DMT was in the toad venom and then also wrote about how to make it yeah. um, synthetically that's Frog fucking man. sick who was this yeah it's a dope little book i forget the name of the guy i need to look at the book but i mean if anyone looks up uh hamilton morris um he had to like sort of rediscover he like republished his his episode on it on this toad venom thing because of the fact that he first learned about it um, and was given misinformation of who essentially was the one that created it. And so then he made another episode that essentially came out and he was able to finally find the guy. Is it Ken um, Nelson? Is, uh, the Bufo so. Alvarius, The Psychedelic Toad of the Snoring Desert? It's a 1983 yeah. book? Um, uh, that might be the one that Hamilton was misinformed by. Oh, um, I see. Okay. Well, I don't it, know, because uh, Hamilton like, helped like republish it, sort of. So it might have been 1983 that he actually did write uh, that. Interesting. All right. I'll, 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 you keep fucking talking. I'll do some research. Word. Yeah, and I'll find out um, at some point about that, because I have the book, so then we'll just talk about it in our episode, too. Um, so, yeah, the 
that system, the mesolimbic dopamine system, the reward pathway, think of it just as a detector of a rewarding stimulus. Um, and that over time, um, when it's been activated for a long time, it can lead to kind of what we think of as addiction. Um, so um, on a psychopharmacology side of things, uh, MXC-induced rapid and sustained antidepressant effects um, were shown to likely occur through the glutamatergic and the serotonergic mechanisms that I described uh, previously. Um, and so in vivo, so in the body, whether of you know animals or human, um, microdialysis experiments, and I've talked about microdialysis before. Do you guys remember it all? It's this um, ability to use kind of like a very thin tube and insert it into a region of the brain and actually um, sort of aspirate or bring up, a, you know, um, uh, neurotransmitters, things like serotonin and dopamine. This is actually gives you the ability to, in real time, in a real live animal, um, measure sort of the neurotransmitters that are being produced in certain regions. Um, so uh, these guys, they did this microdialysis experiments and they showed a small increase in serotonin concentration after injections of MXE, um, which was immediate and transient, but not statistically significant in that medial prefrontal cortex that I mentioned previously. Um, However significant, but of a late onset in that nucleus accumbens shell. Um, and there was a positive trend that was observed at lower doses compared to the medial prefrontal cortex. Um, accordingly, its referent compound ketamine has been consistently reported to significantly stimulate serotonin release in the rat's medial prefrontal cortex. Um, so Matteo Marti and his colleagues, or their colleagues at the University of Ferrara in Italy, reported the effects of a single exposure to MXC on brain neurotransmission systems by uh, pointing to the serotonin receptors as major players of its effects on motor activity, sensory responses, and sensory motor gating, um, as well as confirming its selective action on the glutamatergic system as NMDA and not AMPA, these AMPA receptors, which are also a part of the glutamatergic system. Um, uh, anyway, con confirming its selective action on NMDA receptor antagonists without affecting glutamate release specifically. Um, glutamate, again, is that neurotransmitter that's uh, most responsible for sort of being kind of the activating um, neurotransmitter or, or stimulating neurotransmitter. Sort of it uh, uh, tells other neurotransmitters and other systems to wake up and do things. Um, and GABA is sort of the opposite of glutamate. Um, so this uh, doesn't have the ability to release glutamate and potentially lead to glutamate um, excitotoxicity, which is something that I've talked about with things like stimulant drugs. They have the ability to, they've put glutamate into the synapse for so long that they actually start to damage neurons. Because um, that's after too much excitation, uh, the neuron will start to die off. And glutamate has that ability. This drug does not do that, which is good. Um, there is also uh, a inhibitory effect of MXC on GABA release. Um, so I know that that's like kind of a double negative right there because GABA is the inhibitory neurotransmitter, but this had an inhibitory effect on GABA release. So this actually didn't make GABA release, and it also doesn't make glutamate release, so it's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and this excludes, at least in these guys' experimental conditions, an involvement of uh, the endocannabinoid system in the action of MXE. Whoa. So they wanted to see if that was potentially how it was working at all, and they found out that it doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, so that's part of why I wanted to mention that. Uh, but it's just, it's cool that they, they looked into that because the endocannabinoid system, as we've known about and heard about in our other episodes, plays a large role in many things um, that the body has to do, whether it's digestion or waking up or whatever. Um, it's, it is involved in that. So the um, endocannabinoid system is why I poop? Uh, yeah, it actually has something to do with it. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. I'm not even. No. <laughs> Never mind. Okay. Uh, 
Real quick, uh, I, I mm-hmm. found the fucking information. Uh, Ken, that Ken Nelson guy was the guy who researched it, but Hamilton did have some guy on his uh, uh, podcast or whatever that he was, or that he interviewed or whatever for the Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia or something. And the guy was basically duping him. Was like, yeah, I'm the fucking one who fucking did, yeah. did, wrote that. It was it was that Bufo of Alvera um, book, but uh, this one guy was just claiming to have like done all the research and written when he did not, and it was actually Ken Nelson. <laughs> so it's that guy's a fucking douchebag. So shout so out Ken your, Nelson. Your your great great uncle. Yeah, yeah dude. That's probably why I like psychedelics so much. Because the fucking <laughs> Nelsons, dude, they be fucking. That's why you look like a frog. Yeah. True. <laughs> I, got, I got those toad hips, that. dude. <laughs> oh, hips like a toad. Those tiny little legs. <laughs> ribbit. <laughs> yeah, dude. If you scare you me, I'll ribbit. If you scare me, I'll excrete some fucking goo. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh shit! Oh, yeah. oh shit! <laughs> anyway, <laughs> damn. This one wasn't Boo! super broy at all at first, and then. Hey, dude, you gotta get yeah, that some bro. Oh, speaking of uh, the Grateful Dead, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh my god, you no, gotta hit no, all no, the no. points, dude. <laughs> speaking of, no. um, the, I'll just talk about the kind of toxicity of it now to finish things up. Um, Hell yeah, like the system of a down album. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we did need a music section in there. Oh, dude, that was like uh, uh, painfully. That was the youngest reference you've ever had and it was system of a down <laughs> which is still 20 years ago at least yeah. that's still Actually, a boomer when reference did fucking, when did toxicity come out by system dude probably down? the 90s or early 2000s yeah let, let's see let's probably let's like 98 out. to 2005 is my window yeah i uh 2001 oh i was in it was in my window yeah uh interesting yeah. my window was pretty big honestly. that's funny but dude. yeah i love i love new music dude i listen to system <laughs> of a down all the time yeah. <laughs> With arms wide open. <laughs> I love that System of a Down song. Dude. <laughs> All right. God, let's, shut the let's... fuck up. Dude, that's not System of a Down. <laughs> I don't know who that is, it's but that's not System of a Down. <laughs> who is that it by? Is. It's System of a Down, dude. No, that's all I got to say. Yeah, let's talk uh, about the toxicity of all right. it's fucking Creed, yeah. dude. Fucking, <laughs> I forgot that was Creed. Isn't that a movie? Uh, yeah, dude, I think there's three or four of them. What? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, with legs wide open. <laughs> Get in my am hole. <laughs> I'll take you to this place. <laughs> oh God! I'll oh, make yeah. it, I'll make you dissociate from this yeah. place. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right, Mike, go. I'm right. <laughs> sorry. All right, let's get toxic. Um, You're toxic. <laughs> oh my God, dude. <laughs> um, M- okay, so MXE-induced cardiotoxicity has also been reported recently by some in vitro studies, which is uh, referring to it being like in a petri dish or a tube like a test tube, uh, not a live animal, right? Um, so to investigate the claims of um, bladder safety, though, uh, these Wood, Wood and colleagues, fellas, uh, administered methoxetamine to uh, mice, and they compared a daily dose of 30 milligrams per the kilogram of body weight uh, given over three months to a saline control. And the mice who received saline demonstrated no renal or cystic changes, which makes sense. That's not what salt water has the ability to typically do. Um, whereas the mice receiving MXE had significant inflammation. Uh, and the authors ended up concluding that the chronic use of methoxetamine in humans is likely to be associated with the same lower urinary tract symptoms that have been described for chronic ketamine use. Um, Whoa. So 
that's just there in and in and of itself. Uh, you listeners are likely not going to be using MXE anytime soon or ever potentially again. Um, so don't worry about this. But just know that uh, M, who created it, he tried. He did well with some of the things he was thinking, uh, making it a very, very fun and enjoyable compound, right? And, and hitting all these really great points of, uh, of a dissociative compound. However, he lacked the ability to um, create a compound that was safer um, yep. to the bladder. And it's actually very well seen in all of these aerocyclohexamines that all these drugs, a part of this class, end up affecting the bladder in some way. Which makes them a very good short-term medicine, but not long-term. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I think that they are really, really great at things like uh, when someone is suicidal and they uh, have been, you know, dealing with depression for a long time potentially and have tried other compounds or treatments, right, for depression and they don't have any effect and they're ready to kill themselves, they can get injected with ketamine once and then for the next three months not have any, you know, desire to do it. So Or the phantom limb thing. Like a lot of right. people, like even your mom who had kind yeah, of that oh, similar I totally forgot about thing. Bringing yeah. That up. Yeah. yeah. My mom had a thing where when she got back surgery, um, probably ten years ago now, um, she ended up with like neuropathy pain in her foot, um, which is really strange, but I guess in a sense some kind of nerve was either snipped or, you know, something was uh wrong. <laughs> something was amiss. Yeah. Um, with the back surgery itself, when that was a successful back surgery sort of for the back, but then she ended up with this condition afterward called um, reflex sympathetic dystrophy and or even a complex regional pain syndrome. So those are two interchangeable, but uh, the treatment for those wasn't really uh, decided on or like there wasn't really any treatment. There was things like gabapentin, um, which is just a gabapentinoid drug. So it has the ability to help with nerve um, pain. It was somewhat helpful, but not helpful enough. She didn't have the ability to wear a shoe. She couldn't really walk. Um, the type of pain was like a lot of like crazy tingling and just uh, the bottom of her foot was like black because there was just no nerve endings essentially being fired off in that area. So one of the thoughts by certain some scientists um, were that ketamine could potentially have the ability to uh, sort of rewire uh, because it has that ability to increase, um, you know, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, um, so the ability to help with creating new neurons, right? And your neurons are not just in your brain. They're everywhere throughout your whole body, your central nervous system and stuff, right? And your peripheral nervous system, your nervous system in general. It's contained with neurons. And you're, you've got neurons for all kinds of different things, so sensory neurons um, and, and pain neurons in your limbs, right, are going to be, um, if they're being shut off or if they're being activated in ways that they shouldn't be, they're in an unnormal state sort of, right? Uh, it's It makes sense to sort of have a theory or hypothesize that a drug that has the ability to sort of block off other receptors and different nerves and then stimulate other nerves or help other nerves actually grow, then it's thought that this could be, to me, it makes sense why people would have even hypothesized that these drugs could be beneficial for that. But then they also have the ability to be beneficial for things like pain, right? And and they can numb you. So anyway, she was given, uh, I think, 400 milligrams IV drip um, over the course of four hours, I believe, for five days in a row. Um, Damn. In San Francisco. Yeah, it was uh, just a week of sitting in a hospital bed pretty much on ketamine and then going back to the hotel. Whoa. Um, and then coming back, and then doing it again and again and again. And, um, you know, she didn't necessarily enjoy it. It wasn't something that she liked. Yeah. Um, the, it was just uncomfortable. She didn't see why anyone would do a drug like this. Um, but, weirdly enough, she's been in remission since. 
Um, she's been able to wear a shoe, walk, live a normal life. Um, and I just think that this is part of why these drugs um, could be really beneficial for something like phantom limb syndrome is it has potentially that ability to just tell your brain to stop thinking or to stop putting nerves, like activating nerves when they shouldn't be. It's, it's literally saying, hey, you, you've got something here. You've got something here. You've got, you've got pain here. And yeah. then this drug has the ability to say, all right, brain, let's rewire you to stop saying that. It literally like and fixes your body's coat. No, it 100% like does. And that's shit. exactly what it does for depression as well. It's, it's part yeah. of what people think. It's not exactly. I shouldn't say that exactly. But that is likely why these drugs are so beneficial for depression is that they have the ability to sort of help someone completely. You don't have to go through therapy. You just get to inject this compound and then out of nowhere, within 30 minutes, your brain feels refreshed. Legitimately, like uh, you've been rewritten. That, yeah, like you have uh, the ability to think differently. Um, and, you know, you don't have to go through this massive trip like you do with psychedelics, right? Um, you don't have to spend hours um, sitting there learning. And, and that's part of why I, again, like you were saying, uh, this is not something that could be really uh, um, used for a long time, Yeah. right? Because it's not, it's not, you're not going to, depression is just something that, you know, most of, you're going to deal with probably throughout your life at varying levels. And anyone will. To think that you're not is just kind of silly. Um, but at the most debilitating states where nothing works and you can't spend, you know, maybe six hours in a trip or you can't spend every week going to a doctor and talking to them and you need something to save you sort of from wanting to just go crazy and kill yourself or whatever it is, right? Or you're just literally not able to get out of bed to go to work then something like these drugs can be really beneficial. Um, you know, a couple times in life, maybe. Um, yeah, I think the thing with depression, it's so interesting that it's so misunderstood um, or there's not like a one-size-fits-all and it's not always the same case why someone's uh, depressed. There's people like Neil Brennan. He is, I think, either the creator of The Chappelle Show or like the co-creator of The Chappelle Show. He's a director and a comedian. Hilarious. But he, in his stand-up special, was talking about how he has millions and millions of dollars, no problems in the world, um, but he's like clinically depressed and has been his whole entire life. And he tried ketamine therapy, the whole thing, like went, got the injections, everything for his depression, and it made it almost worse, he said. Which is very yeah. interesting. Well, and actually, I mean, it's <clears throat> been shown with people who are addicted to ketamine that it ends up being the opposite. And you see that a lot of times with any drug, that what it was used for medically, if it's used every day and abused, that medical effect is actually flipped. So people with uh, weed, a lot of the times they get really into weed uh, to be able to help them sleep um, and to be able to help them with anxiety. But then... You know, maybe it will continue to do that, but at one point sometimes for people, it actually induces anxiety, um, and then it induces, like, insomnia. Um, mm. And maybe for some people that's not the case, but you see that a lot. And you see it, same thing with caffeine, right? Is if you drink caffeine too much, it actually doesn't really become a stimulant anymore. Right. You're just using it to not be, uh, like, tired all the time. And then it might actually make you tired. It's been making sometimes. me tired. It's pissing yeah. me off. Yeah, yeah there's yeah, a certain break- point where you have to fucking just stop because it just like the more you drink it the more tired you get it doesn't even help um right you have to find that like for me i've been able to find that caffeine like perfect calm like that perfect amount where it's like it still gets me geeked during the day and then it still works but like i'm not like overusing caffeine so um also it's interesting you mentioned that about neil brennan i didn't know he was uh i I love neil brennan he's super funny i didn't know he was uh he co i looked it up he uh co-wrote and um co-created uh the Chappelle show and i didn't, yeah, I didn't know that funny 
That's yeah, awesome. he's hilarious. Mm-hmm. So positive shout out, Neil Brennan. Yeah, he also did electroshock uh, therapy for his depression. He said neither of them work. <laughs> wow, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I mean, because that's, again, depression is not a specific type of thing. It's not like how with cancer, you've got these cells that are just rapidly dividing uncontrolled and they're creating tumors and these are killing you. Like yeah. that's a well-known thing. With depression, you can't say that it's just serotonin, right? <laughs> but that's what all those doctors want to say. Right. Um, you know, and it's just, it's hard to say. It's, it's just one of those things. And then we've seen that it's a, got comorbidities, right? So if you're highly stressed, that may end up turning into depression. If you're highly depressed, that may end up turning into high stress. It's just uh, an anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they all go hand in hand. It's the entourage um, effect, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <The> endocannabinoid. <laughs> um, all right. So I'll just finish things up actually now because it's, uh, pretty much the end of this um science section and and just section in general or you know episode in general but um talking about brain damage um is important because um some people might not think that a compound that is highly beneficial for you know maybe creating new neurons and being beneficial for something like depression would have a brain damage component to it or a cognitive impairment um, component to it but we've actually started to see there's studies showing that ketamine uh, abuse leads to uh, memory deficits and um, some sort of uh, severe brain impairments, um, mostly related to cognition. And so it's thought that a drug like this would also cause um, these types of effects. And maybe not as severe, but um, the notion that a single acute MXE intoxication may produce severe brain impairment is actually supported by a recent finding of an impaired uh, dorsolateral prefrontal cortex uh, in MXE-induced psychosis. Uh, the dor- dorsolateral prefrontal cortex is really involved in uh, things like executive function. Um, so uh, something that's highly, uh, what should I say, affected in uh, people with ADHD. Like they have um, struggles with executive function, which is something that I've talked about in previous episodes, but for anyone that doesn't remember or know, um, executive function is kind of like that ability to uh, be doing multiple things at once and be able to stop thinking about something so that you can focus on something in the moment. Mm. Um, and that's, think about ADHD. That is part of what makes their life very hard. People who are struggling with ADHD is that they have this disability to, or inability sometimes, um, to just be able to focus on one thing only and not have all this chatter going on in their brain and all these uh, thoughts just popping up fast in their brain, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, this... Um, um, uh, region of the brain is impaired, um, in, in an MXD induced psychosis state. And, uh, um, again, this is just something to think about that, um, if people are chronically using this drug or even just using a very high amount of it in a mo- in a, in a session could end up be effe- affecting some regions of the brain that are very important for certain things. Um, and so, yeah, I uh, just wanted to kind of wrap that up with, it sounds a little like it could be dangerous, you know? Um, it still affects the bladder the same way as ketamine does. It's also affecting the brain in some uh, negative matters, but I think that's mostly with considering chronic use. Um, yeah. Now, this goes into harm reduction. So, real quick, wait, before we're getting we go, into the HR department. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, nice. Me and Raven were fucking chatting earlier. We're like, oh, we should start calling fucking harm reduction the HR department. Yeah. I like it. Uh, well, that's actually great because that's usually the end of things. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, real quick. Yeah, let's speak um, to HR. Yeah, well, speaking of ADHD, I want to give a positive shout out to fucking Adam Mahalik. We've had him on the podcast. Uh, he's, a, he's a fan. He listens. 
Shout out Adam yeah, if you're okay. listening. Uh, <laughs> you just throw him under the bus. No, well, the reason I brought that up is because literally he sends me videos all the time of like ADHD memes and stuff because oh, we both right. have like severe ADHD. <laughs> and uh, when me and him like work together, it's just like a fucking me and like someone has to like wrangle both of us because we're both just like, oh, look at this, look at this, look at this. <laughs> it's very funny. Uh, <laughs> anyway, positive shout out Adam, scoring mixer. Uh, hit him up for your fucking mixing of scores. <laughs> all right, Adam, don't use MXE, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, couldn't if you wanted to probably <laughs> yeah no exactly so actually yeah that's part of where harm reduction here is going to be kind of funny um sorry but uh it's just that this compound is likely not going to be something that you'll ever see in your your drug dealers like stash um it's not going to be offered to you and it's not something that you're likely going to see on the dark web uh if you're looking into marketplaces and stuff and it's not on the clear net anymore like you're just not going to be able to find this drug um if you do uh it's very likely going to be a different analog of ketamine. Um, there's stuff out there right now being sold called fluoroxetamine, which is FXE. Um, there was a drug called deschloroketamine that was really, really popular, like MXE for a while. Um, again, had similar effects to MXE, more so than ketamine. Um, and so people used it a lot and thought that it was safer for them, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but that one is also pretty much gone now. Um, so anyway, talking about harm reduction, it's going to be similar to ketamine. In the sense that um, there's test kits that you can use to find out what you have. Um, I think MXE reacts with the mandolin reagent test kit. I could be um, wrong, but I think it also would react with Morris because Morris is the ketamine kit that you use to differentiate from the other analogs like FXE or DECK or whatever. So then I think that it would either have a reaction or not have a reaction. I'm not exactly sure, but I think that you could use that one for that. Um, again, you probably won't ever need to, but just in thinking about that, um, next would be, uh, needles, right? If you're, I'll say this again, I've said it in previous episodes. If you've never used needles, I don't recommend ever starting out, um, using them because, you know, maybe you don't have an issue with, um, injecting yourself and it doesn't scare you or anything. Um, and you're okay with doing it with this type of drug and you're scared of ever doing it with any other drug, that doesn't mean to say that now, 10 years later, if your life is completely different and you are different, which it will be, um, and you maybe have a huge life uh, thing happen, um, change, and you find heroin one day, and you get really into heroin, and you've been sniffing it, um, but then now you remember that you know how to inject because you've done it with you know ketamine or MXC or something, right? Uh, then you have this more likelihood of trying heroin, IV or IM or whatever, right? And then... Uh, just more susceptible to the addiction and they also potential ODing and dying. Um, and I think that's just the whole life is a slippery slope kind of thing. Like you drink and drive off like two beers, all of a sudden you're comfortable and then you're like, oh, three beers, now you're shit hammered drunk crashing your car. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And so um, I think with a drug that has the ability to be highly addictive, um, just really consider your use and your dosing and remember that this drug has the ability to uh, take a while until you start to notice the effects. So if you're going to be taking lines of it, like snorting lines, um, maybe set a timer um, after you've done mm. a dose for Good like idea. 30 to 90 minutes or something and then just do not take a dose. Even though you might feel like you need to kind of thing, just don't do it type of you know thing. And that's a big part with PCP analogs. Um, we'll get into that with um, some of the derivative episodes that we do about just how because of the dose-response curve of them, it can be really, really dangerous. And then because of how long they last in the system. Again, this drug does last longer than ketamine. So if someone is doing it thinking that it's kind of similar to ketamine because it's 
sort of explained as being a replacement to ketamine, they might do it like ketamine, which is like taking small lines constantly. Yeah. Um, then it builds up and then it's a freaking five to seven hour experience and that has built up. So it's like they've done 10 doses over the course of three hours and now they have a full day or two days. Yikes. Yeah, they're going to be dosed up <laughs> dead, boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that pretty much wraps that up um, for me. Uh, I know that some harm reduction wise, uh, some people can benefit from benzodiazepines if they've been in a sort of psychotic state from these drugs. Um, again, it's not safe to mix these drugs with drugs like alcohol or benzodiazepines. Um, but I think towards, you know, halfway into the experience or something like that, and if you're straight up freaking out, um, something like lorazepam, right, or Xanax or something can actually be helpful um, in helping you kind of come down from the craziness and the confusion and all the things and just be able to relax and um, not do anything too crazy, um, which is totally possible with drugs like this. Dissociative drugs, especially done in public or done in a scenario. So that's like another harm reduction side of things is drugs like this, in my opinion, should not really be done at shows like concerts and in public um, by the naive. Now, yeah. if you've been doing this drug for a long time or drugs like this, eh, you know, it's up to you. But again, you're putting yourself in a more susceptible state uh, to have a bad time. Um, that could end up making it not bad for you, but the bad for the people around you. That's yeah. a big part with these drugs is that it might not be a terrible experience for you. However, you're going to hear about it from your friends and family or whoever you are around that they, you know, were really uncomfortable to see you in that state yeah. and that they never want to see you again in that state. And so that's, again, that's my just form of harm reduction to help people understand that like just because you enjoy it and it might seem like it's fun for you, uh, consider those that are around you. Um, not only that, just think about how long this lasts. And if you're at a show that's only like four hours and you take a bunch, it's going to last six hours. How are you getting home? Are you going to be able to use your phone to call an Uber? Yeah. And definitely don't drive. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And again, yeah. like alcohol, right? Like just this yeah. is not a drug to be mixing with alcohol. And a lot of people do that with ketamine at shows because they're just a friend has a bag of ketamine is like, hey, you want a bump? And if you've had two or three beers, you're like, yeah, fuck it, man. I'll, I'll take one. Yeah. And then, you know, you're wobbling all over the place and you can't realize where you are. I've seen a friend do yeah. that and they got so sick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a, I have a couple <laughs> friends that. who fucking did it after drinking and I was just like, you guys are fucking idiots and shout out. Cause one of them's listening. You know who you are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, uh, yeah, don't, don't do MXG in public. Cause, uh, you, your friends might have a bad time. <laughs> yeah, I just think just <laughs> okay. acknowledge the motor function, the the effect it has on your motor functions. Drugs like these, uh, doing yeah. even ketamine out in public is just like you. You could see someone that's done ketamine out in public. They got like the zombie walk kind of going, or just the very like rigid kind of. I don't know. It, it's, well, and they like, and they like see through you. You know what I mean? That's something yeah. you hear about with these people on these drugs all the time is like that it's really hard to be around anyone if you're like in a sober state or just not a very like drugged up state at all. And you're talking with someone who's on these types of drugs. They are just so out of it. Yeah. And it's not like a Xanax out of it. It's like a straight up like they're in a dreamlike state, but they're still walking around or communicating with you in a way. So you feel like they're understanding what you're saying or, you know, they're a part of the conversation or something. But really, they're like on a different planet. I feel like Xanax is almost better because the person can at least fake it better and act yeah. like they're understanding you. And then they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about yeah. afterward. But 
ketamine, it's just like you can see that it's going straight through them and that it's not going to stick. It's very interesting. Yeah, and I guess the same to say with MXE, but yeah. um, it's probably very similar. I'm sorry we keep equating this to ketamine, but it's the closest thing that anybody of our audience will ever try that's yeah. uh, similar to MXE. So that's uh, yeah. why we keep saying it. One thing and I just, just... Oh, sorry, oh go ahead. Uh, I no, mean, yeah, my, mine was a stupid thought, so you, you, it can wait. You can. All right. Well, so I'll just say, like, I think it'd be cool that if anyone who's listened to this has experience with MXC, if you'd like to reach out, um, we'd love to uh, talk about it um, maybe live one day or even um, have you on in for an interview that we could put onto Patreon. Because I think it'd be really cool for other people who have listened to this episode but have never tried it to actually get some ideas from people who have tried it yeah. um, of what it's like and how it is different than ketamine. Absolutely. Um, so just reach out to us. That would be fucking uh, super sick. Yeah, Ryan, you were saying? Oh, uh, my! I just had a fun thought of like, you know, like Soldier Boy, like that song Crank That and how there's a whole dance to it. What if there was like, what if someone made a song about like ketamine and made a whole dance to it just called like the zombie walk or whatever. And people just walk around just like. <laughs> I mean, there is a lot of ketamine songs and I feel like they've probably at least mentioned something about that. But I mean, like a full, now like a Michael a Jackson dance. reference. Yeah, now a I'm Michael saying. Jackson reference, really. Yeah. So you're going back to the Boomer reference. I mean, essentially, like, similar to, like... I said Soldier Boy, dude. Fucking... Well, not. you said Zombie Dance, like Soldier Boy, a.k.a. Michael Jackson, because he had that Thriller song. And yeah, it's similar I guess to the Soldier of. Boy dance. Yeah. Okay, dude, do you think fucking uh, It's similar Michael to the Jackson, Crank That dance. Yeah, that's a good point. Do you think Michael Jackson... Dude, Soldier Boy was the first one to do the fucking... To do ketamine, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's not even Soldier Boy. <laughs> what? That's a, that song's not Soldier Boy, is dude, it? Dude, Soldier Boy is always the first person to fucking Oh, turn do my anything. swag on. <laughs> yeah, Crank That was Soldier Boy. Also produced by fucking Soldier Boy. Uh, and uh, fucking turn my swag on, Soldier Boy. But Thriller was was Michael Jackson. But and oh, thank you guys so much for listening <laughs> to today's episode on MXE. It's been an interesting one. Um, yeah, it, 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 I would be really interested in hearing anybody's experience that is willing to reach out to us. Um, a good way to reach out to us right now is on Instagram. That is Instagram.com. Uh, or wait, what the fuck am I saying? That is on Instagram. <laughs> Drink it out of cuffs underscore podcast on Instagram is what that is. And I usually shout out the Patreon first. That's where my brain is getting confused. That is Patreon.com forward slash D-O-O-C or just drinking out of cups on Patreon. Hit us up over there as well. It's $3 a month. Gets you access to a lot of cool shit. Actually, as of the Friday that is coming up when you are listening to this, um, there's going to be a lot more cool shit coming up in the future. So um, we're going to be announcing a Discord soon where we are going to be doing live uh, kind of Q&A kind of things over there for the public and patrons will have exclusive access to that as well. So um, that's just going to be drinking out of cups Discord. So um, yeah, you'll be able to catch us on probably live streams weekly on there. It's going to be really freaking cool where people could write in, ask us all kinds of cool questions, and we'll try to get the answers to them. Yeah, dude, we're on all the fucking social medias now, dude. We're on fucking Instagram, Twitter, fucking, we're getting Discord going, we got Patreon, dude, we're fucking Pornhub, dude. Yeah, and the oh, dis- yeah, keep checking out our uh, link tree. It keeps getting updated. Yeah, and the Discord's <laughs> going to be really cool. So if you're one of our patrons, you'll get exclusive access to um, certain kind of forums, or uh, you'll get uh, everyone will have access to any of the HR department uh, kind of stuff we're going to be doing, like harm reduction. We're going to be putting all of our links to helpful stuff there. Um, it'll just be a really cool resource for anybody, um, and we're going to communicate uh, a lot better, in my opinion, with the community. 
over on Discord, and our patrons will get exclusive access to like different um, message boards. I guess. Yeah, that's what Discord is. Message boards. Yeah. Is that mosquito? I hope not. Sorry. Mosquitoes are out already. Squirrel. Why is there a Squirrel. mosquito in my house? Speaking of ADHD, <laughs> yeah. uh, how yeah, are we gonna yeah, end I'm this? How are we gonna end this episode today? What is the outro for this? Uh, the outro. Yeah, that's good. Uh, mm. wait, no, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it. Wait, hang on. Oh, Micah, you might have to put your mic on this. Your mic, a mic. Yeah, <laughs> get money. See you next oh. week. Oh, <laughs> this was Joe Rogan. See you next week. <laughs> the Joe Rogan's experience. <laughs> There's nothing like listening to Drinking Out of Cups podcast. Nothing like it. <laughs>